right. Hey guys, Zach and Brendan, how are you guys? Hey guys. So I just wanted to say thanks for joining me. We've been having a pre-talk so far, so I would like to see, well, so Brandon, you, you joined us late yourself until I went out, but um, I want to have the conversation just like three guys just talking about this. Uh, we're talking about Black Lives Matter today. It's obviously a seriously sensitive topic, I suppose, and you guys are in the States. So I think the way that I thought we should do this is I want you guys to introduce yourselves first and then you don't have to tell me you're completely, you don't have to tell me you're going to vote for Trump or you're going to vote for Biden or anything like that. Um, but if you can tell me, I mean, unless you want to, but if you, if you want to say you support the BLM movement or you don't support the BLM movement, what you think about the BLM movement, I've listened to your podcasts, but I haven't listened to them completely. Okay. And the reason why I haven't mm -hmm. listened to them completely is because I don't want to come into this conversation and sort of try and slay you guys down for your views that you have one way or the other. My aim in doing this podcast is, so I mostly talk about me, myself being an alcoholic. And what happened to me while I was an alcoholic is I used to have a very twisted view on life. And one night I went to AA and these guys were just like, it was like a, a different group of guys, you know, like, um, there, I don't know if there was a woman in my first meeting, but anyway, it's an open meeting, men or women can go. And one of the things that they said is they said, listen for the similarities, not the differences. And throughout the conversation of, or throughout these people telling me about what happened to them while they, while they were drinking, I realized that the, the world wasn't the problem. I was actually the one drinking alcohol and um, because I'm an alcoholic, I can't drink. So I might talk a little bit about my upbringing today in South Africa. And mm -hmm. if I talk about that, it's not going to be to say, well, you guys don't know what you're talking about. My life was way worse than yours or, you know, and, and I also don't want you guys to think, oh, this is just a white South African who's got sour grapes because it's now turned around, you know? So it's, it's right. more, I really want you to see whether or not you think I understand it, what it is, how you think and how you feel. And then if you agree with me and you say, yeah, this guy gets what I'm feeling, that's great. And if you say, no, he doesn't get me at all. This guy's off with the fairies. Then you can tell me that as well. I'm not going to take offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, I can go first. Hi, everyone. I'm Zach. Brandon and I host the Say What Needs Saying podcast. And so thank you again for, for having us on. As you said, we're in the United States. I'm in Michigan. And I typically lean more conservative in my political beliefs. I identify more as a conservative and have some libertarian leanings as well obviously have a couple stances here and there that that go that go more liberal too but but generally more conservative as far as the black lives matter movement goes i understand and support the underlying movement for black lives um, so when someone says black lives matter because they do truly believe that black lives matter i'm in full support of that but i'm absolutely not in support of the organization itself and I think that the organization, because they've chosen that name, even if you aren't referencing the organization in the movement, you are lending credence to the organization. And so that's why, that's where I fall on the Black Lives Matter movement itself. All right. And uh, hey, guys, I'm Brandon. I'm currently living in Ohio, but I'm originally from, Bro I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And Zach and I, we went to school together. And I think that's what makes our podcast so um, unique because... I lean more liberal. Coming from New York, I have more of a liberal mindset. However, I'm not completely off the wagon. I'm more moderate, or at least I try to be in a lot of my conversations. But in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and my support for it, 
Unfortunately, I must come to realize that the amount of auxiliary or external forces that have infiltrated that name or that uh, monogram has truly allowed myself to not fully support it. But I originally was a part of why it started with, with Trayvon and, or, or Mike Brown, whichever you would lend its credence to its origin. That's where I fall when it comes to it, not what's become of it and how Black Lives Matter was used for Chad in Seattle. Like, there's so many different ways that it was been manipulated and used against even Black people trying to uh, peacefully protest. So uh, from its origins, I support it, but what it's t- been turning into in, the, in politics and you know, social media, it's a little too extra for me. Right. That's really interesting, actually, Brandon, because I did listen to snippets of mm-hmm. your podcast and... I, Zach, you're you're like just a pure white guy. You're super you're you're super quick to figure out. Okay, well I know exactly what Zach's gonna say. He's gonna he's gonna have the same same views as what I have. But with Brandon, you were a bit more tricky because I couldn't figure out exactly where you sat. And um, I think having heard you say that, that sort of uh, make that makes a lot of sense. I, I do have some views, by the way, over how Black Lives Matter started, but I think let's, let's get into some other things first. I wasn't going to open with this, but I'm quite curious about this. You said something that I found really, really quite sad, and I also found it to be very truthful and honest. Um, you said that in your last podcast, you said at the moment, you're scared of dying. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I, I think you meant it fairly seriously, but you didn't mean it as seriously as what I thought. Do you mind expanding on why and, and how you feel like that? If it's, I know it's like a really heavy point to open up on, but um, since you're sort of already leaning away from Black Lives Matter, I feel like this might be a nicer avenue to go down. Oh, of course. I, I love to speak about it. Now, any general person, and Zach and I have these discussions for any general person, like if you were in a zoo and you saw a monkey always getting beat by, a, by the uh, zookeeper, Right, and you saw the first time, you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's horrific!" And then the other monkeys see it, and uh, granted, the monkeys are very unique and now almost uh, not the best example. However, we're gonna, we're gonna keep going with it. And you see the zookeeper constantly hitting the monkey. Eventually, either the monkeys either get desensitized or they're gonna attack the zookeeper. Now, I'm not radical enough to attack the zookeeper because mm. I am living in. However, my level of desens- desensitization is almost depressing. So. When I get pulled over, my fear immediately is death. What plays in my head are all the videos that I've seen. I see cops. Not only does my stomach sink, which has always happened ever since I lived in Brooklyn, but Mm. now I know for a fact there is proof that if I move too fast, if I I seem threatening, if I don't put on a nicer voice, I'm I'm a big black man, over 300 pounds, 5'10". I'm a big booming person. I, I, I tend to intimidate. So I know officers that have a level of intimidation factor when they make certain choices that are mistakes, and I don't want my life to be a mistake. So every time I see those, see some type of law enforcement, my mind clicks to say, I might die today, or I might die yeah. if I get pulled over, if I don't use my turn signal. So I'm glad we're doing this as a podcast then, and I, I don't see you, <laughs> see you because now, now, now I can say what I want because I don't feel that intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, that's okay. So I, I kind of get that. I was wondering, Brandon, what do you think as a white guy? How many interactions have you had with the police in the U.S. And what do you think when you get pulled over? So interactions. With the oh, sorry, not not Brandon. Sorry, Zach. Sorry. Oh, sorry. sorry. Okay, I was gonna say as a white guy, yeah, <laughs> that sorry, may be sorry. me. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking on my screen and I, I saw the name Brandon, but I was thinking Zach. Sorry. <laughs> I think my interactions with police 
I've been pulled over quite a few times for speeding, to be completely honest. <laughs> and I, I think that generally, I absolutely do not have the same fears, right? I think that my first instinct when I get pulled over, if I already knew what I was getting pulled over for, it's annoyance at myself, it's, you know, frustration. It's not at all, like, I'm not at all worried for my life. Uh, I'll be completely yeah. upfront with that. There was one instance, and I don't know if I talked about it. I don't think I talked about it in the Black Lives Matter episode, so I don't know. I doubt you would have heard it, but there was one instance where I got pulled over for speeding, and this was when I was younger, and scrambled to find my insurance card, and the cop saw me scrambling and immediately started yelling at me to, to see my hands wow. and and <clears throat> things like that. So obviously, I, I get that in that instance, there was absolutely that fear and that I still don't think I thought I was going to die. I still think uh, even in that instance, I thought, oh, holy shit, I need to, I need to do what the cop wants me to do. I need to, yeah. I need to get myself together. Otherwise I'm going to get in more trouble than I'm in right now. So yeah. there's definitely a different perception. There's definitely, for me, there, that fear of dying, that fear of uh, being shot, that's not really there. And I do think that I've been fairly lucky in my interactions with cops. Like I've been pulled over plenty of times for speeding. I've only ever gotten one speeding ticket. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, wait, 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 wait. I, I would love to point that out. That he, you said that you've been pulled over how uh, many times? You got one speeding ticket, correct? Right. I've gotten tickets for for jaywalking. Damn. So, so on that though, Brandon. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a US thing and if it's a race thing or whatever it is, but I am a magnet for tickets, all right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, for whatever reason, I'm probably the same as you then. Like I've been pulled over for speeding and every single time I got, this was the worst one that happened to me is I was driving with my car and I had, a, I had a, the, the bikes on the, like on the bike rack on the back and I didn't have the, the license. Oh, no, no, sorry. This is two, two things. So the first one was I was driving and my, registration had expired which I had forgotten and the police pulled me over and he said look you're driving without a um, registered car and you're going to get it I think it was something like a thousand dollar fine and we were on our way to holiday and I said to him okay well I've got another 20 kilometers to drive now I can only get a registration tomorrow so what am I supposed to do now and he said well if you drive now you're breaking the law and I said okay so does that mean I can drive on does that mean I have to stay here what like you know what and this guy was just being a complete hard really and he, he sort of said well I'm telling you you're breaking the law and I said so if I drive are you going to pull me over again and then eventually he sort of realized what I was asking him and he said okay I'm going to go the other way you do what you need to do but if someone else pulls you over I'm I'm not going to be there for you you know so um so they were pretty strict as well in that sense I didn't think I was going to die but I definitely felt a bit sort of helpless you know and then another time I had the bike rack on the car, but I didn't have any bikes on the car. And they pulled me over for obscuring the license plate, which when I looked at it, I was like, there's no way I was obscuring the license plate. You were just trying to, to nail me for something. Or, well, maybe it was slightly obscured, but it was, it was a bit too strict. But having said that as well, I mean, this is the thing that I find interesting is, do you attribute the fact that you've had lots of tickets and Zach hasn't had lots of tickets? Do you attribute that to racism or do you attribute that to maybe you've just got bad luck? Now, I try, when I say plenty of tickets, I get, I get, I'll go into run-ins and those run-ins tend to let me take out. I try to try my best to have as little interaction with the police as possible. I know, but I know people who've had like, you know, they were drunk and the police stopped them and they, you know, they were able to drive home. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have. I have. There's entire links on our. Uh, I guess I can post it to our Facebook page of people just admitting to so many things. Like, oh, we were both drunk, and all we had to do was switch the drivers, and the police let us go. But uh, okay. I, that, yeah. I've had that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so yeah. on my end, I I want to attribute what happens to me to my personal luck or disadvantage or advantage. So I want to say it's on me. I can't base my interactions for the entirety of police to minority interaction. Is there a problem? Yes. And there's better instances. But for me personally, I'll just say it's luck or someone saw me okay. at the wrong time. Yeah. I think for me personally, the way that I look at it as well is I, unfortunately, I do think that racism is something that exists, right? And I don't think it's ever going to be something that's going to be completely removed from our society. I mean, if you see someone, so, so I'll give you an example. I spoke to a guy, he was Egyptian, I think, I can't remember. Anyway, he was from an Arab country and we were having a discussion one night and he ended up saying to me, a room full of white men is a problem. <laughs> and I thought, and I ended up saying to him, that sounds a little bit racist. And then I said to him, you know, when you go to my AA room, for example, because we're in Australia, you're going to be confronted by a room full of white men just because Australia has mostly white people. And you're going to have, be confronted by mostly men because it's mostly men who happen to be alcoholics. So if you think that this room is a problem and you happen to be an alcoholic as well, then you're going to walk away from this room and you're going to walk away from a situation that can potentially change your life to a degree that you can't imagine because of this prejudice that you've got. But on the flip side, I mean, if I walked into a room and it was like, you know, a bunch of women or a, like a group of Indians or a group of black guys or a group of whoever, it doesn't matter if it's a group of people and they were all completely different to me, at the very least, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to go, am I in the right place? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's really a big crime or a sin. What do you guys think about that? So I kind of agree. I think that there's a natural tendency to identify with and I guess be with or hang around with those that you're similar to. I mean, that's just, I think, human nature. Now, whether that has to be race, I think that's more ingrained in us than, than human nature. But regardless, it becomes a part of you know what people do. And so I think it's natural to have that kind of reaction to either identify with people that are like you or when you're in a situation with people that aren't like you to be a little bit off put or uneasy, maybe, but. Yeah, I think it's more a case of like, I mean, to, okay, so let's put it this way. If I, and I'm just going to be honest, this is how I feel. So, um, and it's not, I don't think it's anything bad with how I, with how I see it. So let's say I walk into a room with 10 guys who happen to be from the Middle East. And if they're all dressed normally and they, they look relatively friendly and all the rest of it, then I might go, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong room, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to feel threatened. You know, so I'll just be like, um, I'm looking for whatever. Maybe if it's, if I was looking for like a room that's to do with like Arab cuisine or something, then maybe I'm in the right place. But if I was looking for an AA room in my case, for example, then maybe I'll be like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I, I'm probably in the right place because I thought I looked, I went to the right place, but you know, I'll have to ask these guys if I'm in the right place. But if I walked in there and they looked like they were dressed like gangsters and all the rest of it, and I might see a knife on the table or something, then I'm gonna be like, I'm definitely in the wrong room. <laughs> does, that's, does that kind of like give you the, the perspective of what I'm trying to, to, to talk about? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. How do you think about that, Brandon? What do you think about that comment that this guy gave me? 
I think there's to a degree I, I can relate. And Zach hit many of the points I could, could ever bring up. Like if you're used to being uh, brought up in a community with everybody that you look like, it's going to be common for you to have a, some level of uneasiness, especially if your only reference to that demographic is from the news. And that's a very yes. crucial Great aspect point. of it. So it's say, for instance, so I know a lot of white people who I was their first black friend <laughs> in college. Actually, I actually had a really good friend. He said in high school, I would never talk to you. Uh, I would have had all the prejudices in the world. I would have thought you were going to rob me, steal something. But now you've become one of my best friends uh, throughout college. And that really moved me because honestly, if you grew up, you know, in, I guess, in Ohio and you see the news where every black person you see in the news, he steals, robs or kills someone. The first thing you see a room of meat. Now you marks, you know, if you saw a knife on the floor, on the on the table, or if you saw uh, them dressing in clothes, if you see a room full of black people, and for twenty years you saw what the news said, you don't. I could be dressed in white suits, and you'll still see the knife and see me as a gangster. You know, you see, you hear what Trump says about Mexicans. If you never hang around Mexicans, you'll think everything he's saying is true. They're just rapists and, and, and murderers and they don't, you know, they're lazy. You can say all these different things. So I share a lot of the similarities with Zach, but if I walk into a room and I see a bunch of white people, which is an American tale for any minority, mm. um, I don't have fear, but I have reality in front of me. And I think for white people, they see the same thing. And unfortunately, that means two different things. Well, and I wonder if you don't mind me jumping in a little, I wonder if the difference too is that desensitization you were talking about, because there's also the fact that Black people are a minority. Mm -hmm. And so even though there's that uneasiness, you haven't experienced it, or, or I haven't experienced seeing as many Black people or interacting with as many Black people. Whereas even if you have that uneasiness around white people, or not just you, but you know, so mm -hmm. anyone that's Black or a minority, you may feel uneasy, but it ha it has to happen all the time because oh, yeah. there's you, all you, kinds of white people, right? You get over it extremely quickly. It's yeah. kind of like you. Uh, it's kind of like that bunch the bunch of toddlers who they show different pictures of people and say what they look like. They look at your president. It's mm -hmm. quick when you assimilate like all the different things of pretty and what's nice, and when you are told to collectively think that way of the majority of whoever rocks the majority skin color, which is white. You kind of ease yourself. You realize, oh, they're on the money. Oh, they're in every book I've ever read. Oh, they're every toy I ever made. Oh, it's just, it's me. And then this is their world. It's not that way for a seven-year-old, but from a 22-year-old, that's the perspective of a minority. I find that interesting because in South Africa, I was the minority. So I grew up, I'll just give you guys a little bit of background of how I grew up. So I was born in the mid 80s, like 84. And then Nelson Mandela was released. I think he either was released or became president around 1994. So I was pretty much seven, eight years old, 91, 92. I remember when, when everything changed in South Africa and walking through the streets. Like, so I was in an all white school when I, when I went to school. And then just sort of towards the end of my schooling, they changed it so that black people were allowed to go to our schools as well. We had the workers were all black workers. And if you went through the city, for example, like we never really went to the city because it was like my parents just thought it would be too dangerous. But if you went through the, like our little neighborhood or things like that, um, I was definitely a minority in, in some senses, um, but it was still reasonably heavy segregated, heavily segregated. But one thing that I wanted to touch on in terms of the news that you were talking about before, I've been thinking about this a lot for the last two months, maybe, since all of this stuff has happened. I remember, and this is where I was going to say, listen to the similarities and not the differences, especially you, Brandon, because I think, 
I don't want you to, I really, and I mean this like from the, from the bottom of my heart, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to, to belittle the way that you feel or anything like that. Um, uh, I want to see if you can understand sort of how I feel and then maybe we can sort of talk about it through the end. So when I grew up, I had to go to a funeral of a little girl. I was 13 and she was, I think, seven or eight and she was shot by um, some hijackers. She was sitting in the house. The guys fired a shot. It ended up going through the window and it killed this girl. My uncle was hijacked and shot and killed. And we literally read about hijackings and murders within the small print of the local rag that got dropped on your driveway, right? So my point being is so many of these murders didn't even make headline news at the end of the day. And in terms of talking about being desensitized, that's exactly how I felt as well. Like I remember we went to New Zealand when we moved to New Zealand in 99 there was a guy who attacked, who attacked police and he had, I think he had a machete in his, in his hand and he was really storming the police at the time. And the police shot him and it made national news. And they were like, this guy attacked the police. This is really crazy. A year later, literally a year later, this case was still on the news. And we were laughing because we thought, is that really all the news they've got to report? <laughs> you know, Because that's how used to violence and death and murder we were. It was just like it happened every single day. Now, there's a lot of people in South Africa at the moment who they end up not reading the news because it's so depressing. Agreed. I was wondering from your perspective, and that's why, that's why I'm glad you brought in the news because, and this is a really tricky one for you to answer. And I don't know if you can answer it, even if you want to answer it honestly, I don't know if you really could answer it deeply, honestly, is how much do you think when you walk around in your neighborhood and when you go about your daily life, how much do you genuinely feel in fear of losing your life or being attacked by someone? And how much do you think it is because of the news that you watch? I'll reference what I'm, this lifestyle, what you're, I guess, painting to when I was younger, because I lived in Brooklyn. I think that makes more of a realistic picture for this mm -hmm. discussion. So living in Brooklyn, a lot of people would assimilate the word Brooklyn, you know, with uh, crime and stuff like that. I guess when you're in a jungle, you call, they call New York City a concrete jungle. You have to always have your wits about you. You're not going to walk through the Amazon all la-di-da. You're going to constantly be aware of your surroundings and try to avoid different sinkholes or, you know, planted things that you don't want to interact with. Like if you see some sketchy stuff going on, you want to avoid that. Uh, when y'all watch the news, it's interesting because like I the crime still happens and you know of crime that's not being posted on the news. Hmm. So you watch the news, you're saying, interesting, this happened. Now, objectively, it could, be, it could just stay there. But if you're like me, a young black kid watching the news, just, you know, like anybody else, every day you're going to see someone that looks like you. So you look in the mirror and you see some type of resemblance to the guy that just got shot or the guy who just shot someone, the guy who's a murderer. It's interesting because the, if you don't, if that's not your image that you see and your world is portraying you as that, you cannot watch that too many times or else naturally you will begin to fit that description regardless if you want to or not. So that's a level of me watching the news that I don't think will be, well, oh, that's why I stopped. And I know a lot of people stop because it's unhealthy to see that yeah. constantly as a human, you'll, you'll inadvertently start looking like this or to, even to looking like that to someone. So not only like, depending on where you're at, uh, I actually got into a car accident not too long ago. I was on my, my bike and I got by a uh, truck. My grandparents were like, why didn't you call the cops? And I was like, I was in a really nice neighborhood. 
I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna do that because if I'm riding, this is a twelve hundred dollar bike, and there's some old white dude I, that hit me. I'm and I'm sweaty and I'm not doing that. There's too many times. Once again, there's too many times in the news I've seen this gone wrong. Oh, I fit a description. Or, you know what I mean? And granted, they may seem extreme, but Zach can tell you right now what we're seeing in the in, in the news. I mean, for the past. I mean, to black people, you say the past, you know, 30 years. But for what we're seeing since this pandemic, that level of, ex- of extreme caution isn't horrifically unwarranted. Would you agree, Zach? Yeah, no, I agree. I think really, that it yeah. makes sense to, to play it safe. And, you know, and regardless of whether or not it's rooted in, you, you know, I, I, I do think that the news plays it up. And if you look at the actual numbers that a lot of these cases, these tragic and awful cases, are statistical anomalies, right? But they do still happen. And so I think it's fair to be on your on on guard, I suppose, even based on anecdotal incidents because it because it happens and because racists exist because it's because it can happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh It's not that it's gonna happen to every black person, but it has happened to a black person, which is enough. So like in America they had no idea that a pandemic could be this much so now they know that it can be this much. Right. Mm. They wouldn't have known beforehand, but until they've seen it, now they understand it. So I'm, I'm curious. I've got a, a number in my head. Have you guys looked into how many unarmed people and also black people have been shot in the US? It was a while ago. I, at one point I had looked up last year. I don't know what the total was, but I think I may remember the unarmed black people. I can look it up too. But before you look it up, don't, don't, don't okay. look it up yet because this is, this is quite important. So there's a really good book. It's called, I think it's called The Rational Optimist. And what this guy found is he was a university, university lecturer, right? And he would have his lectures and he would say to people, how many people in Africa have got clean water to drink? And how many people in India go to school? And what's the rate of uh, Indian women, for example, that go to school and all these different things. And a lot of it was to do with third world countries. And what he found is that all the people who answered the question, they all had the right answer, Mm. but their answer was at least 50 years out of date because they were referencing statistics from sort of the 1950s, 1960s. And what actually, and the actual truth was way, way, way better than what um, these people had realized. But then what he said, what was even more interesting is he would try and update their data bank, so to speak, right? And he'd say, okay, so for example, um, I I can't remember the stats, so I don't want to lie to you guys, but um, I think it was almost as good as third world countries are now as good as what first world countries were roughly about in the 50s or 60s. And you have to remember that in the 50s and 60s, that was the golden era for many first world countries. But then he said, so he he basically gave them this new information. And then when he gave them new information, they would walk out and then like he would later on find out that they've sort of sunk back into like the old data bank, so to speak. So it's it's quite difficult to really update your data bank, so to speak, if um, if you want to think about it that way. So with that question, so if you had to have a guess, so I don't want you to look it up. I want you to have a guess or tell me what you think it is if you don't know. I'll let Brandon go first. Just for last year. I'll let Brandon go first too, just because I know I've, I've looked it up before. So I know I, I would be in the ballpark. So I know for a fact I don't know uh, the numbers and I wouldn't even know where to guess. But it, you, and you said in regards to unarmed shootings? Can, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't know the numbers, but I 
the reason why I don't know the numbers only is because the numbers wouldn't change how I feel when I watch it. Or I thought so. I, th- I thought so. Because I think this is the other thing as well is at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the, the number is, right? Is you still feel that risk within yourself. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of figured it would be like that. One thing I, I kind of was interested when you said, um, you know, the unarmed shooting, you know, like officers to pedestrians, correct? No, not actually officers to pedestrians. So, um, okay, so I'll give you the number anyway. So um, I think the total, the total number, don't quote me on the total number because I forgot that one. I think it was around 30 or just under 30 total, um, blacks and whites all together, well, everyone all together. And I think unarmed black ones is an interesting one because depending on which source you read, it's either eight or nine. And then I went onto a USA website, USA Today, and they said, well, you can't just take shootings. You have to take taserings and beatings and all the rest of it. And so if you take that number, it's about 13, which is super, 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 super low. Obviously, like I, I thought beforehand, I thought it would be well into the thousands. Um, if you read the news and watch the news, I thought it would be quite high or at least a thousand, you know. But then the other thing also that was interesting is they said, so out of this number, one person had a weapon nearby, I think, and none of them were innocent people necessarily. Oh, sorry, not none of them were innocent. Maybe there was four or five innocent. I don't know if there were any innocent, but there was an altercation with the police. So in other words, it wasn't just the police went by and randomly did a drive-by, so to speak, you know, so pedestrian in your words, Brandon, it was, there was actually cause for the police to be at the situation as far as I can tell. Yeah, this, this gets into, so I just, I looked up the, the numbers on, I think it's Statista, yes, Statista, um, and yeah, so in 2019, yeah, black is... While you look that up, Brandon, I think the other thing also why this number probably doesn't matter to you in your defense is because you're probably in a state at, at a point in your life where you go, well, I can't trust numbers, am I right? Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> and it's only because, and I, I try to be as objective and fair as possible. That's what I want to be uh, just known. I'm not necessarily known. I don't care if people know. No, but, but the... I, I try to always give benefits of the doubt. I've seen mm. cases that go to the news of depicting one thing, and then a week later, I, I see the dash cam video, or I see new evidence come up that completely inverts the 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 the, the story that they gave me. So one exactly. Example, one example I want to say uh, is Bri- uh, Brianna Taylor. Anybody can hashtag Brianna Taylor and find out everything about that. Brianna Taylor was a woman sleeping in a house, and the police were trying to do a raid for her boyfriend, right? And the police, I guess, had a search warrant. They heard shots coming in, so they bust in the door and they shot Brianna Taylor. I think it was like I forgot how many times, but she was still alive, and they did nothing about it. This is all afterwards. So they said originally that they were shooting, and she was a suspect. And why is there so so much confusion? When it comes to something that's being, you know, given by the government, if, if the law enforcement says X, Y, and Z, you should find this person. Why is this person dead? And none of those cops are taken to any type of custody or any type of uh, repercussion has happened whatsoever. So that's mm. me initially reading a story and seeing how what's actually happened is contrary to what we know. And there's just lies and there's too much to disbelieve when you see a number. So if you would, if Brianna Taylor is a part of that number or part of that situation, I know in my head, oh, it could be misconstrued. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, in your defense, that's also why I would say, depending on what news you read, uh, you're probably better off to just read no news, right? Because you don't know 
I mean, like the mainstream guys over there is, is Fox and CNN. And then obviously you've got MSNBC, uh, ABC, BBC, and I think a few other ones down the, down the track there. But it's sort of like everyone against Fox, more or less, as the way I see it. And I don't necessarily think Fox is uh, the best outlet either. I read the Daily Wire a lot. I don't know if you've read much of that, but that seems to be, for me, the most, even though they're conservative, just from getting the facts, because I don't, I can't vote in the US, so it doesn't matter if I support Trump or don't support Trump, because it's ultimately it's not going to change anything. But f- from being verified and factual, I see the Daily Wire as being the, the most honest. Because, say for example, the Brianna Taylor case, I don't know too well, but let's say. I mean, do you guys want to talk a little bit about, it's probably been spoken about to death by now, but do you guys want to talk a little bit about the George Floyd case? And we can talk about it both in terms of what we think happened and what the news reported on it. And because that's really what sparked all of this. Because I, I know I, I heard somewhere every four years, there's a BLM has an uprising. I don't know if that's true or not. And that's to do with um, the elections, obviously, is what the word was that I heard. But do you guys want to talk about George Floyd for a bit? Of course. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, so what what's, what did you think about it first, Zach? I'll go with, with you this time. So I think that, so we did an episode where we showed the, the body cam footage that was released later. And so I think there's two aspects to it that I have different feelings about, right? I, I absolutely still disagree with the way it was handled at the end. I think that Chauvin still handled it incredibly incorrectly, right? There's video of him keeping his knee on his neck for numerous minutes, even after they checked for and didn't find a pulse, right? So it's it still evidences a horrible handling of the situation by them. That said, I think it's definitely not what it was described as by the media initially, Right, because of the the body cam footage, I think shows that the interactions leading up to that it, it didn't seem indicative of just a purely racist act. It didn't seem like a just malicious handling of the of the of the situation. You know, they they seemed to be handling it fairly reasonably. I mean, obviously there are things that they could have done better or worse. You know, whatever. But but I think the the actions leading up to the kneeling and the kneeling are two different things that I think the kneeling on his neck definitely still deserves criticism and he definitely still needs to go to court and tried for it. But I think that, you know, there's so much new information coming out that it's mm. hard to judge it as the media judged it initially, you know, between that and the conflicting autopsy reports. And just recently someone came out saying that if they had found George Floyd alone in his house, you know, and there weren't a police altercation, he would have ruled it an overdose based on how much fentanyl was in his system. Yeah. And so it's stuff like that that just complicates it, I think. And so, you know, I don't want to come across like I'm saying that Chauvin is innocent because he's not. He's not. And he absolutely handled it incorrectly and should be held accountable for it. But I do think it was blown up into a massive thing by the media that it wasn't the full story when we were told it early on. Yeah, I I actually agree with you in terms of uh, how Chauvin handled it. However, I just in the last two weeks, I I heard um, I I don't quote me on the laws yet, but as far as I know, he actually was following procedure within the state that is legal procedure. Yeah. But point being is that the procedure is bad procedure. So you there's this mm-hmm. argument that you can't even blame Chauvin for it because he was just following bad training mm-hmm. which he was given. So I find that an interesting point that's going to make this case even more tricky yeah. in the courts. Right. Well, and it'll make, it'll help him get off. It'll help yeah. him get off. Like he won't be held to a second. I don't, I, 
second degree murder you may be able to get because of the felony assault charge that you could link it to but it's you know you see this with police cases a lot that you almost you either get overcharged or people don't necessarily understand the laws or the rules you know people wanted it elevated to first degree murder and like that absolutely that would have been open and shut case you know would have been thrown out on, almost immediately and yeah. so i think that yeah there's definitely there's definitely change that needs to happen but it's more on how the police are trained and how they're trained to handle these situations as opposed to one particular cop doing something quote unquote incorrectly i suppose what did you think brandon one what do you think about what happened to george floyd and then two you're already leaning away from the BLM movement, um, as you said earlier, but do you think that everything was the aftermath of what's happened and where everything is going now? You know, Kenosha is um, obviously one of the major, major cities, is it, that has got a lot of riots and stuff. Do you think that it's all been um, handled right? So I'll ask it more specifically. A lot of people who are pro-Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. they all say that they want justice. My question is, Derek Chauvin was arrested. All four of the police officers were actually arrested. I think they've all lost their jobs. I think they're all going to go to court. They're, it's like, so which part, and I'm not saying you saying it is or it isn't justice. So don't, don't, when I'm asking you this question, it's not aimed at you specifically. It's just, do you think that justice is following the right course or which part? Because I'm confused about why BLM would say they want, why, why there isn't justice. I would agree that maybe it's not good that George Floyd died in the first place. But given that he died, isn't the justice system doing its work at the moment? So when certain things happen, I guess, in regards to killing, that's unjust. That the Black Lives Matter seems unjust. Uh, there's enough things that happened within the timeline of America that when the whole, when, when that happened, when a uh, situation with George Floyd, you the Black Lives Matter uh, movement impounded or compounded it on to many other injustices that's also happened. So that kind of brought up the uproar. The uproar is seeing many officers like Chauvin that always have these outstanding circumstances that get them off. So, you know, the issue is that he was on somebody's neck. And this is the, what the whole premise is, is that white officers tend to look at black people not as the same they will look at white people, or at least in the same situation, white people will live longer or be alive. So the thing is, the reason why I say Black Lives Matter is because we're still human. Like we're the same, we're the same and we matter. Like we are equal to you. So one mm. would say that if George Floyd was a white man and the show that we had on that just got canceled on television is called Cops. It's been on for 31 years. I am sure within the past 31 years, I can find an episode where somebody was high on a drug and was in was not the best behavior wise to officers. And I'm sure that didn't happen one time, but I'm sure he didn't die. And the issue is that someone thought it was okay to see this big, and it's a big, it's a huge man. This guy was huge. He's sporadic. He's strong. I understand the fear of it, the fear that you need to have four people on one person that's already arrested on the ground. I don't think four humans need to detain one person, especially if the head person is on somebody's trachea. Now, granted, all these outstanding factors in regards to drugs, maybe the cause or his mental instability, but if you press on any area of the body, you know, that, that supplies oxygen for four minutes, it's already in excess of damage and, 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 and uh, recourse. In regards to eight minutes on a neck, that's just inhuman, sparking the outrage saying, you wouldn't do that to your brethren. It's because you fear what we are, so to speak, that you have to do all of these extremists that leads to our death. Yeah. So this is the thing. So I agree with you 
that what Chauvin did was wrong. Mm-hmm. I think where it becomes really dangerous, and, and actually for, for and I'm, again, I honestly, I only speak from my heart and I don't, don't mean to attack or offend, right? So, but I, I honestly do think that when you start to believe the narrative that Black Lives Matter pushes, which is that white people don't see you as a fellow human being, Remember, at the start of this conversation, I said that I do think that racism is something that does exist, and I don't think it's something that's going to disappear. But I think once you start to have this way of thinking in your head that white people see black people in a certain light, it's sort of like if you want to buy a Mazda, right? All of a sudden, you only see Mazdas around. And it's the same thing with with racism. If you want to, and especially now, because the definition of racism is being broadened to such a degree that it's literally in the fabric of our very existence. And like I say, I do think it's there, but it's not the fact that it's a fabric of our existence. It's the fact that it's this deadly poison. And I don't think that the term racist means what it meant 30 years ago, or 10, 10 years or 20 years ago, even because now if you call a, I'll give you a different example, right? So in Australia, you guys might have the same thing. In Australia, we have a joke when someone's like a really strict administration person, we always call like people work go, ah, oh, that's like the office Nazi or something, you know, and everyone um, laughs about it, blah, blah, blah. It's just the office Nazi. I'm living in Germany now. And my mum made this joke to my in-laws and they said, oh, she said, yeah, the, the people at work called me this office, the office Nazi. And my in-laws, they were shocked. They're like horrified. They were like, how can you call someone a Nazi? There's like, that's a really, really horrible thing to, to do. Mm-hmm. And I think with racism, it's becoming the same thing. Like to be a racist is actually a very, very serious claim or, or serious um, accusation, you could say. And I think, yeah, I, I don't think it's a healthy way to, to buy. And, and I actually think Black Lives Matter, to be honest with you, I actually think Black Lives Matter is hurting you personally way, way, way more than what it's helping you. And I say that not because I'm trying to sway you away from something. I say that because I, I genuinely believe it. Okay, so Black Lives Matter didn't come before instances of police killing seemingly innocent people. It's a level of reaction. So it's a cause and a reaction. So, uh, almost like a tale of two cities. You're seeing cases in the news and you're seeing one go one way, one go another. Mm. And then you see that for a period of time, then you start to believe this narrative that things are happening. Now, I would say, and I agree that it's not healthy to already believe that because if you see Mazas, then you're going to see a bunch of Mazas. The question is, why are there Mazas in the first place? There shouldn't be any examples of Mazdas. How do you mean? Like, okay, I guess you're saying if you see cases of police brutality as comparing it to if you want to get a Mazda, then you're in the Mazda, you're seeing a bunch of Mazdas. Now you're in this mindset and you're seeing a bunch of examples to ratify this mindset. There should be no extra examples of me of me ratifying this mindset in America. There sh- that's ju- that shouldn't be a possibility. There shouldn't be instances where of cops interaction with minorities going awry through ah. this mentality. Yes. So this is the overall reason why I brought up what do you think the number of people is that got shot? Because I don't, it's not because I want to tell you that, hey, you've got nothing to worry about. What I'm actually trying to point out is if you think about it, right, George Floyd was in the news for like just George Floyd by himself was in the news for maybe what, a month or more? Or the, I don't know if they're still talking about him, but he was probably about in the news for about a month, right? Is that fair to say? Probably at its peak, yeah, but I, I've been seen it for, because there's nothing else to do in America, so they're going to read it. 
Fair enough. But Rayshard Brooks, he was also in the news for a period of time, but he was so close to George Floyd being shot that I actually think he, and to be honest with you, I actually think Rayshard Brooks was a way bigger tragedy than George Floyd. And then after Rayshard Brooks, there's been a few other shootings as well, but I think police shootings has now been the latest has been Jacob Blake. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly why I think the news in America is super toxic, because if racism and police shootings were as commonplace as what the media narrative is telling you, why would they need to focus on one case for a month? I can tell, I can, I can explain that. Zach, would you like to have, uh, put your two cents in why exactly? So I think it's sensationalism, to be completely honest. I think that it's, that's where the dollars are. That's where the clicks are. I mean, I don't have as great of a perspective, obviously, but I think that the numbers, I think what, what you were getting at is the numbers don't back up the the narrative that this happens on, you know, all the time and to, to people all over the place. And I think that it's, if you rile people up about this one case, you know, and you have some reasoning to do it, you know, they are all bad cases. They are all bad examples of police handling situations. Do you really believe that, Zach, that they were all bad cases by the police? Well, okay, I shouldn't say they all are because no, I I think that there are plenty. Just these three, just these three that I'm talking about. So I think that the evidence issues within police that need to be addressed, like increased training or, or things like that, I don't necessarily think that they indicate, so what we were talking about, Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, and, um, and Jacob Blake. Right, and Jacob Blake. So, so no, so I, Jacob Blake, I think, was a justified shoot. Again, he didn't deserve to, no one ever deserves to die or deserves to get paralyzed or things like that, but I think that the cops were justified in that one. Rayshard Brooks, I think, again, that they were justified. He was the Wendy's yes. drive-thru, correct? Okay. Floyd is a bit of a different situation. So no, I I guess I shouldn't say that they're all quote unquote bad, but they do indicate areas where police can get better, but it's not at all what it's played up to be as the systemic and, and large issue across across the board. So like when, and the reason why I went to Zach, because I want to hear his perspective before I gave mine, Mm -hmm. I think for what that image does and what words have been associated with that image fuels a narrative uh, that America can cling to. So to see an officer proud in his uniform with the badge on top of the neck of a minority individual and the word associated is defund the police or better police training or you know, uh, Black Lives Matter wants to defund the police or police reform, that image highlights what that could look like or what why you need that to happen. So the other instances they're not as picturesque as the media would like it to be. And there's a, there's a, very, it's a very framed instance why George Floyd's case is so flagship for at least, quote unquote, liberal, the liberal agenda to want police reform. And the conservatives are using that to say we're against police reform because we're for America. And it gets entangled uh, in many different examples. That's actually a really, really interesting perspective. I actually agree with you. Um... And I feel like you had to you had to take a deep like you didn't want to. There's an apprehension, like ah oh, man. I, no, well, well, so I I agree with you, but I think the pr- the problem is is that I agree with you for a different reason in a sense. So I agree with you in the sense that yes, they can use this to push what they want, right? They they want to defund police, and so they push that onto you. And this is the thing that I think is super 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 toxic about your media, like ho- horribly toxic. They're actually using the race card against you in yes. a way. 
and so that's why I have a huge level of empathy for you because I can see you're being told by the media that black people are being shot by police at a record rate of numbers and all the rest of it. And then, and then to your case, which is a very, very valid, valid argument is, well, they're highlighting this particular case to emphasize that this is the fact. But there's another side to it as well, which is if you say, okay, well, why aren't we highlighting all the other, other cases? Because if you can, so let's say, let's say what you're saying is true in the sense that it, it's a very graphic case that makes the point very clear, right. right? Now, the message, if you look at all the posters and all the rest of it that came out, all the posters were pictures of just George Floyd, like he's like a headshot, basically. Mm -hmm. um, it's a picture of him and it's got his name printed out everywhere, right? You don't really see the brutal picture of Chauvin on Floyd's neck printed out everywhere. You just see pictures of Floyd. So they're celebrating the person in some sense. So you could then argue, well, if we're celebrating the person, why aren't we celebrating all of the other hundreds of thousands or supposedly number of people that are getting killed as well? Yeah, so I can directly answer that. It is being celebrated in the black communities throughout the communities that I reside in, I guess, on online. So, you know, my community is with a, a mixture of people, a, a myriad of races, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm black, you know, I'm Jamaican American. Mm. So all of my interactions predominantly should be black and it is celebrated. All these people are celebrated. Their names are said, their stories are said. I think for the first time up until extremely anecdotal occurrences over the past 50 years, this is the first time where minorities or black people are truly looked at as a victim. We have been, I, never in my life have I ever heard so many people say, or in defense for black people. It, it, it's a new thing for every black person in America. We have, we're tied between every person that quote unquote celebrates Trump hates me, or I can go switch stations and they're talking about funding schools that I went to. It's the first time I've ever heard this narrative that we're the victim and people can try to help these people who've been victimized. But I've always seen on the news that we are the antagonizers and the aggressors. So this is the first time for me to uh, see that as a whole. Well, and I think it's dangerous when that narrative gets extended to its logical extreme, which I think we're starting to see mm -hmm. now in more recent cases, right? So I, when we brought up those three cases, you know, I think that Obviously, George Floyd was the, the quote unquote least justified by police, you know, even if he was doing his job, you know, it still was a bad handling of it, you know, and then followed by stuff like Rayshard Brooks or, or Jacob Blake, where they are assaulting the officers or they are in, in the case of Rayshard Brooks shooting the taser, you know, or they are, you know, the, the situations are very different. And I think when we've reached the point now where any case of a black individual being shot by a white individual gets played up by the media as this tragic indicator of a systemic crisis that's going on. And I think that's dangerous because with any group, you know, you know, it's the same way that the Me Too movement wound up. It started with great intentions and then it devolved into believe anything women are saying and immediately believe allegations, not for everyone. And obviously that's not what it was meant to be but that's what it gets to in people's minds so the point where you know so jacob blake like i said the the guy you know it's a tragic situation but it does not warrant i don't think a justice for jacob blake movement it, i really don't think it does personally i think jacob blake deserves absolutely zero justice i like i think he was like 100 percent a clear-cut good case 
and I'll tell you, did you guys, okay, so do you guys know the background of Jacob Blake and why the police were there in the first place? Uh, yeah, yeah. So they, and that's where, you know, it gets even worse is that now the media isn't just playing up the narrative. They're, they're changing it, right? They, the story was that he was there to break up the fight between two women. And that wasn't the case. They, he, they were there because the woman who had a restraining order against him because she had, he had allegedly sexually assaulted her and, and abused her. Multiple had, times. Yeah, like, had called the cops on him because he, he was there when he shouldn't have been. He had stolen her keys. And then, like, it was, it's a completely different story than what was told. What was told was he was there being the Good Samaritan breaking up a fight when really he was there doing criminal action and then resisted police, resisted being tased, and then reached in his car for who knows why, right? Who, you know, who knows if the knife was there for, for that reason? Who knows? But it's just a very good story where if you were to hear that story and weren't told the race of that person, I think a rational person would look at that and be like, well, all right, you know, no one deserves to get shot, but maybe, yeah, the cop, the cop was more or less justified in, in doing that. What I find really interesting, right? So um, they, they, I remember when I was growing, this was also when I was growing up in South Africa. So, because we're also, South Africa is also a big gun country and um, Australia, New Zealand obviously has no guns. So I can, I can understand the gun culture, I suppose, that you guys live in. We always had, so my parents had, um, both Both my parents had guns as well. And we always thought, you know, if someone breaks into your house, like, because you don't know what the, 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 the guys breaking into your house is going to do. And pretty much you've got a right to defend yourself, much like in America. But then I remember when I was about 13 or 14, I think it was just before we left South Africa, they changed this law where they said, People in South Africa also, there's a lot of people who walk around with AK-40, not like in the streets necessarily, but a lot of people have AK-47s. Um, so mm -hmm. they're like, like America, like semi-automatic machine guns. And they said, um, they changed this law and they said, if someone breaks into your house, you're not allowed to shoot at them or even shoot them unless they fire at you first. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking as a child, I thought, so these people can come into your house with an AK-47 my parents have got handguns, so they're already at a disadvantage and they can only shoot once being shot at, which means that you're probably going to die and then, or at least have a bullet in your, in, in your body somewhere and then you can mm -hmm. defend yourself. And I thought it was ridiculous. I feel like with, especially with this Jacob Blake case, I feel like people are trying to advocate for a law similar to that because mm -hmm. I can't help but think, so in my mind, this is what happened. The police wrestled with Jacob Blake, right? So obviously before that, they must have spoken to him. They didn't just yeah. get there and, and wrestle him, but there's video footage of it, them wrestling him. He's on the ground. He throws them off because he was a strong dude. He, they've got their guns on him. They've tasered him. He's walked not just around one side of the car. He's practically run, walked a whole U-shaped angle around a car. And they kept yelling at him, obviously, telling him to stop. They let him open the door. And only when he reached into the car, that's only when they shot him. So to me, it's just like, at what point? You know, like, I think they left it as long as they could, personally. Well, with, with, with that case, okay, so not every case holds, hold, holds up after the... the the details come out that's one of them don't that that's yeah that's not a best example for them to use to to try to bring apart because granted my so my father worked in rikers island which is a, a huge jail in new york city he said it was just a choice in protocol and it was just their choice and they have as as in regards to protocol they have that choice people have a, a issue with the choice that they made um but it's still a standard if someone is reaching into a vehicle 
And as an officer, you know, you tried to say you did all the preliminary things that you would need to do. This was just a protocol choice to shoot him. Granted, the issue is, are you shooting him because you sought justice to do on that scene? So because when you shoot someone one time, you could argue that that's to apprehend them. The issue and what the is what where Black Lives Matter brings it in is how how is the mentality to detain someone if you shoot them seven times? I think the intent at that point was to to kill or to to put him down because at that point, I, I think, and I don't know, I can't speak for the cops, obviously, mm-hmm. but I mean, at that point, you've tried everything else. He's right. he's getting away. And to me, the biggest factor in that specific case is the kids in the car, right? right? Yes. So oh, you don't know, you. you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if those are then going to become hostages, if he's going to shoot or kill the kids, right? You don't, right. you don't know. And the fact that this person has done everything that we've described I think at this point, whether or not it was needed to kill him, once you stack on top of all that stuff that we've talked about, now the potential for him to draw a weapon and try to kill you, I think that's where that justification comes from. Right. I think I think what the officer did was just one of the choices that he had, and he just made that choice. Is it right or wrong? I'm not to choose that. But the the, peop- the issue is the level of aggression. People are saying that there's other instances where cops wouldn't shoot uh person seven times yeah well i so i agree with you and i was thinking about that as well because the only reason why i would say seven shots were bad is because i can imagine if i'm a what his children were eight or nine or something and if i'm a nine-year-old child and i see my dad getting shot seven times if i see my dad getting shot once it'll be horrific let alone watching my dad get shot this many times by anyone you know regardless if it's a police officer or not and I think those children are going to be traumatized for the rest of their lives. Um, and that's a really, really horrific situation for them to be, that they'll have to live with forever. Yeah. Uh, the, so from that perspective, I don't think seven shots were justified. But then there's two other things. Is we have to remember that one shot can also kill a person. So whether it's once or seven, it's, well, he he, uh, I mean, the fact is he survived seven shots, you know, um, but one, one shot could kill. And then I watched a video clip the other day where um, the police pulled over someone and they walked up to the car and it was literally like just the random stop, you know, like sort of like a quote unquote broken taillight situation, you know, and they walked up to the car to ask for a registration and this guy just started opening fire at them. He got out of the car, um, the officers were taking cover and he kept firing at them. I think, I don't, I don't know if the officers survived or not, but they definitely had bullet wounds in them, you could see. And they also fired at this guy. The guy ended up getting back into his car and drove himself to the hospital with a bullet in his head for surgery, you know? So even with, and and this is your point, um, Zach, is that at that point when they shot him seven times, they must have thought this guy is an absolute weapon um not in the good sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> this guy is this guy is a danger to society right now and we need to take him down because if we don't take him down now something worse could happen and we have and and this is the point is we have to have trust within and in all countries in the US and Australia and New Zealand wherever you live Germany we have to have trust within our police force that they are making the right decision right and i think to your point Brandon about the choice that he made I think that I agree with you that we should be critical of the of the choice that police are making and when they can make a less aggressive choice that they absolutely should. And I agree that there are cases where police will take a more aggressive option with, with Black people or minorities than they would in that same instance with a white person, right? But 
But I don't know if that matters with where the movement has gone anymore. I think that if the cops had shot Jacob Blake in the shoulder and then pulled him down to the ground with him, with them, I, I think that there still would have been immense outrage. I think that at this mm-hmm. point, it has devolved to the point where, I mean, there was another case, and I don't, don't quote me because I don't remember what the name of the guy was or where it was or, or anything, but there was a case where police shot an armed gunman, a, an armed black gunman, and there was still outrage about that, even in the case where they were getting shot at. You know, there was a news headline where two cops, I, I don't know if it was CNN or who, but it was like two cops went up to to a black uh, a black person at a stop and all three of them wound up getting shot. And it's like, well, that was the, the guy in the car shot the two cops and then another cop came and shot the person afterwards, you know, because they shot the cops. And so I think with the spin that is being attributed to these stories and with the the level of animosity that's attributed to really any of these cases, I agree 100% that they need to take the the quote unquote best option they have and the least aggressive when possible. But at this point, I don't know if it matters to the mob, but the, you know, the, the people that are rioting and, and protesting this stuff. I think that even if they had taken a quote unquote better option, a less aggressive one, I, I still think that I still think it would have received the same, the same criticism. That doesn't make it right. But, but I think that, you know, it shows that there is an issue, but, there's a time and a place to be less aggressive. And I don't think those are the present in the average person's mind right now. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears for a little bit. And this might be, we might end up going into a, into an area where none of us are really uh, <laughs> experts at all, but who cares, right? So um, let's say for an, ex- let's pretend, uh, and especially so, especially, so Zach, I think you and I have more or less the same outlook on this uh, so far in terms of how this has been handled. Um, Brandon, you've got a different view, but I wanna, I wanna see if we can look at this whole problem holistically from a completely different angle. Let's say for an example, do you guys know much, cause you know, there's the, I heard you guys talk about this as well, about BLM being a Marxist organization. Mm-hmm. And what do you guys think about that? And how dangerous do you think that is? I think the main reason it's dangerous is the semantic overload that's been attributed to Black Lives Matter. I think that if they had another name, if they had a a name that wasn't being chanted by non-Marxists, if they had a name that wasn't being chanted by people who were genuinely in the movement because they care about Black Lives Matter, I think it would be less dangerous. I think the reason it's dangerous is because they've commandeered this commonly used phrase that more or less everyone agrees upon that then lends credence to their organization every time it's said. And even if you aren't a Marxist, even if you aren't a communist or you don't, you know, support the organization, you know, going out with a Black Lives Matter shirt or a sign or whatever inevitably will lead to more donations to that organization. It'll inevitably lead to more credibility for the organization. And I think it's just flying under the radar for a lot of people. I think a lot of people just genuinely don't know even though they've publicly claimed it and publicly, you know, announced it, it's more dangerous than a lot of people would believe. And so what do you think is dangerous about the fact? So, okay. So you, you pretty much wholeheartedly believe that the BLM movement is a Marxist movement. Yes or no? Yeah. Well, so the, the organization, yes, the movement, the movement I would say is being hijacked by a Marxist organization. I do believe that most people out there marching for Black Lives Matter aren't Marxists or don't necessarily agree with Marxism, but I think that the organization, absolutely. Uh, Okay. So you see the movement, you see the movement as being 
people protesting, the average Joe protesting police brutality, and then you see the organization as the heads, the guys who are actually running BLM. Right, right. Is that, but is I that, believe is that right or not? Yes, but I think that the organization seeks to make them less and less unique. I think that the organization in trying to garner support and in trying to gain credibility is trying to cast these these protests, these riots under their umbrella to then say, well, no, this is, you know, this is what Black Lives Matter is. And now, now that we've got you on board with police brutality, let's get you now on board with, you know, more Marxist ideology. That's where I begin to, I guess, question what my hashtag means in the world. For what it was, for why it's, for why its origin was created, I have to be a Black Lives Matter supporter because I am a Black life. I matter. I, I, I can do the same wrong as any American citizen. I think I deserve to live whatever repercussions that my white counterpart would have. In regards to Black Lives Matter as what Zach can see it as. So a lot of people I'm sure are not well versed in Marxist theory and know who Karl Marx is or understand that level of association. And originally the Black Lives Matter didn't necessarily have a head leader or like it was just a movement. It didn't have a spokesperson. So over over the course of, you know, whether it be, you know, conversations in the back rooms or what have you, there's now quote unquote a leader and there's now quote unquote voices that speak on the behalf of Black Lives Matter when there wasn't one head voice speaking on the behalf of Black Lives Matter. So now people can use, and like Zach said, use what originally was police brutality and invert it into their narrative when I was never signed up for that secondary narrative, that tertiary narrative. Mm. If I represent Black Lives Matter, I don't represent what you're trying to make it out to be. I know what I'm here for and I know what this means to me. How and 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 again, it's uh, it's meant not in a, an attacking sense at all. Oh, like, but but how? And I appreciate, by the way, that we can speak so openly about this. It's I've been wanting to talk to people with a different mindset for ages now, so it's uh, I genuinely appreciate it. But I've got a question: How sure are you that the Black Lives Matter movement was actually started on what you want to believe it was started on? versus what it really was started on. So in other words, if, if I said to you, will you die on this hill? And if we said to you, if you said to me, Black Lives Matter was started with a different premise to what it is now. And I said to you, are you willing to die for that? Are you that sure that it was started for, for a different reason? I'm glad you're asking that. That was what I was going to too. <laughs> and this is the interesting aspect to, I guess, a bigger conversation. I guess we'll get to there, get there one day. When Black Lives, when, you, when someone says Black Lives Matter and how it's explained, how I explain it to myself and how the people who are sharing it initially have explained it to ourselves is that these instances show that we don't matter compared to our counterparts. We need to matter. Now, it is very correct in the American culture to explain or to find the quote unquote right reason for different instances. So you may have some evidence that says that it was originally created by this, 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 but it's interesting. <clears throat> and that's the society that I might be on a limb here, but that's where my mind is going is that mm -hmm. the superior is telling me where my origins came from, like where my support has come from. Like you're not going to tell me how I should view something that's affecting me. It's like someone saying, Oh, you support black lives matter. Did you know that this does this? But did you know I'm still a black lives that's being affected by this? Like I don't, the, whether the origin is right or wrong or where it or, or originated for many people and how it was 
how I guess how it was how it was uh, coined I guess was why I tagged along and I would die on that hill. But for what the hill has now aggregated, I can't support all that. I don't. There's yeah. people. There's I can't support all the different aspects of what's going on. There's people on Fox News saying, "Hey, I'm the king of Black Lives Matter." I don't know who you are. Okay, so you say so. To, so I'll see if I get your answer right. So you're saying the reason why you personally, you know that the reason why you personally joined, and I don't think you're a member of BLM, so I won't say it like that, but the reason why you got on board, you could say, with the whole BLM movement or whichever you want to call it, uh, you, you will die on a hill because you know you did that from a genuine and a pure reason within your own heart. Right. But, and, and, I, and I would also say that whether I'm a supporter or not, my complexion already kind of tells my society what side I'm on. See, and this is what I, that, what you just said there, this is what I find one of the things why I think BLM is as toxic as can be because, so I'm just going to be honest with you guys. And if you think I'm a racist, then before we even continue, I want you to understand that from our perspective of what we do and for who I am as a person, I want you to freely speak because I feel like that's, an aspect of society that's lost. So from yeah, here on out, speak as I'm always worried because I know this is because I told you guys I record this and I'm going to publish the whole thing. So <laughs> next thing I'll be was, labeled as a racist by someone else. No, right. I, I was more worried for you. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So um, in South Africa, when I was brought up in South Africa, we were pretty much brought up and whether it was overprotective or not overprotective, whether my parents had the right stats or the wrong stats, is, it's really irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference. But I was taught to be very um, cautious or scared of black people because we thought that, you know, and, and if you think about it in a different way, so there's, there was about 5 million white people and 40 or 45 million black people at the time. And then even if it's just 1% of the black community that's say people who do bad or less than one percent like one one percent of 40 million is still a very big number and especially if you then take the small number of white people that are there right so there is this um sort of feeling and then i remember and so i had for many years i had this trained reflex reaction that it's not that i hate black people but that I would almost be a bit scared when I see a black person, which is what, what you, which is your argument with the police against the black people. This is the, a lot where, where the whole, this is in defense of your, your argument. So my point is in the last couple of years, I've actually uh, made a conscious decision to try and get rid of that because I, I realized that that is not actually a genuine impulse, but it's a trained impulse that I was uh, trained uh, to learn. And I did get rid of that impulse. But since this whole thing has happened, and I'm in Germany, but now when I see a black person, my immediate reaction is, I wonder if this person's pro BLM or not. <laughs> you know? Right, 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 That's right. a horrible thing to be thinking because I wasn't thinking that before. But since George Floyd, now I think it. And I think that's bad for black people that I think that. I don't think it's a good thing for you guys. I, I want to, I, ha I have to speak on something that you said. Mm. Uh, in your in your in your favor, so you're not. You're, oh, you're thanks. Because <laughs> uh, I just thought I slayed myself. No, there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think, and I love it because it's something I've, I've traveled. I've been to different countries outside of America. I think you have the objectivity, and I guess you have the balls to stand on something that many Americans cannot admit. You have confidently, whether you know whether you were shaking when you said it, confidently said. That I've been raised, and you could even hear it, and I, 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 the fact that you said you're still learning, you're trying to actively change, 
your initial knee-jerk reaction was the black people versus the white people. That's from your, that's, that's, that's ingrained, and whether it be an accident or not, it's ingrained in uh, the culture of South African, you know, with the apartheid and all that stuff. So naturally, that's going to be your, your vocabulary, your mindset. The fact that you're admitting that I was raised this way and I need to change my mentality because that was not, that's not an ingrained mentality. Many Americans can't face that fact. And I think until Americans, because I have a, granted, it's one of my stances that I try never to say, but in America, I think Zach and I have touched on it. In America, naturally, you have to be racist if you're white. Not in a bad way. If you naturally see only 10% or never see black people, and the first time as a culture, you see this random thing that you see on the news that does bad stuff and is mysterious and does music and snap and make music. Like, it sounds like some type of fairy tale, you're going to have some type of like fear. Like, what is this? Until you're actively choosing to change that narrative, you're naturally going to have that premonition and that prejudice because it's been ingrained for the entirety of America. You would have to actively change. And I appreciate you even saying that. That means that there's a possibility that everyone can change. And I appreciate yeah. you saying that. No worries at all. No worries at all. And, and I think, and, but this is, my, this is my problem with the BLM movement, Brandon, mm-hmm. is that the BLM movement, I seriously think they're instigating racism way more than what they're helping racism. And I mean that absolutely sincerely, because the last thing that I want is to see more countries go up in flames because of the quote unquote racism when the, and, and, and look, whether the racism is as prevalent, uh, so, so I, I kind of, Actually, I will back up what you said about the 10% um, and not seeing people because I've heard two stories and both of them are actually really funny. The one is to, with, to do with a group of black people and the other one is to do with a group of white people. So there was a white lady, I can't remember who it was anyway, she, she was on a ship and it was just a ship full of white people. She'd never ever ever seen a black person and then she sees this, the black person didn't do anything wrong at all. It was just a black person and she reeked out because she thought that it was the devil and um, this is like a long, long, long time ago. This is like maybe in the 50s or something. I was and then, yesterday in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but then I've also heard the flip story, flip side where um, a white woman was brought into a very black community and they thought that this person had brought a ghost into the community because they, this, they thought that the person was pretty much like transparent, you know. You guys, the black, black community, I don't like saying the word black community because I, it makes it sound like it's all just the same, but black people in America are a minority. That's for the foreseeable future, the way that it's going to be. There's going to be people that are going to be bigoted and there's going to be people that have just never come across a black person and might treat you with a certain type of reaction to your point because of what they've seen on the media or something like this along the way. Let's say, for example, um, you go into a hotel and the hotel sort of realizes that you're a black guy and you book this room online and they'd be like, oh, like, and they start and you and you realize that they still give you the room, but they act a little bit off and you realize that they're not totally happy with the fact that you've booked this hotel or that you get pulled over more often than than a white person, for example, because I've seen these statistics on this as well. Now, you have to answer this question for yourself, I suppose, but is the price of paying this level of baked-in racism, so to speak, mm-hmm. is the price worth paying that? Or is it so bad that the entire system needs to be thrown over for this level? Of, and I'm not, so I'm not talking now about police brutality or anything like this. I'm just talking about like people having different 
personal prejudices, but they're not treating you with hatred. They're not not serving you. They're not, you know, it's just literally just someone realizing this is a black guy and I'm a white guy or something like this. And, you know, like maybe you can tell that they're slightly racist. And I'm, this goes both ways, you know, like I'm sure that there's, uh, well, not, I'm not sure. I know there's black people who are racist as well, you know, so white people have to deal with an element of racism where black people don't like us and, and, and vice versa. And not all black people and not all white people, just some people, but we still all get along broadly speaking. You know, so my question is, is, do you think that the level of current racism is enough to keep going or do you really believe it needs to be overthrown like what BLM is preaching? From my perspective, in my head, my, this question has around 100 activists for the past century on my back, in my ear, ready to answer this before I do. And I, it's interesting that I want to say this. I'm not an African-American, but I am black. I am J- Jamaican-American. I, my roots are not ingrained in America as many other people here However, I feel the same plight because of the same treatment. So as a whole, there needs to be things that are rewritten for, I guess, the equality of the American citizen. So up until President Obama's last year, uh, he changed the wording in many of the documentation of um, the Constitution. Well, not not the Constitution, different, uh, different amendments from using the term Negro and just saying a Black person. So even up until 2016, the term Negro, a racist term, is still ingrained within our American legal system. Things like that need to be changed. And I'm sure he did as much as he could, but there's so many different aspects when it comes to like the Clinton's law, uh, I think it was the one, two, three rule. You get some type of uh, charge and you go to jail for like 25 to life. Or if someone were to get caught with cocaine, if you were found with crack, you would get four times the charge. And cocaine was found in white communities and crack was found in black communities. There's so many different laws and just different instances like, so as a black person, my hair stands up when it grows out. That was considered unprofessional. So the hair that naturally grows out of my hair is worth being fired over. Things like that, I don't think is across the board. I don't think someone of a white demographic, if they had their hair, how it naturally grows out, you're not labeled to be fired or to look unprofessional. You can't naturally look unprofessional. I naturally look unprofessional. So oh, I, I, I challenge you on that. <laughs> I've got a friend who is, a, is as, as white as anything. And he's, he said to me, so I was, I was probably slightly vain when I was growing up. And um, I remember we went out for a run. And just before we went out for a run, I was like, hang on, I just need to brush my hair. And he was like, dude, we're going for a run. And we, were, and he, we sort of talked about this a little bit. And he said to me, yeah, he's just, he's just given up on his looks because he realizes that the way he looks, he's never going to be able to change. And he's not, at the most, he's not an attractive person at all. And he looks like he looks. And so, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, and, and also for me, I had a beard. I, I wanted to grow a beard when I was working in advertising and in many advertising industries and in many advertising companies having a beard was this whole Metro look. And my company said to me flat out that you're not allowed to grow the beard. You need to shave it off. You look like, you look like a Sasquatch, which I'm sure that that would be considered racist if you told any, any black guy, he looks like a Sasquatch. I don't know if, uh, if that would draw offense, but that's what I was called. So oh, but it I was- think- this is, I'm talking about laws that were reversed. These were laws that I can't have dreads. I don't sure if it was a law that you can't have your beard. It wasn't a law, no. It wasn't a law, but it was a company policy. So I think it's, I don't think that's a, okay, law may be different. Do you think that any person, say if you're talking about a person in a corporate situation, do you think any person in a corporate situation with dreads is professional? Yeah. Yeah? I would say, yeah, of course. I don't think your hair has to dictate your level of education or your level of intellect or your level of skill for that particular job. I think that you can have neat dreadlocks or compliant dreadlocks 
But if you were to just have your hair pulled back, you, you can have your hair neat, but that doesn't locks will make it inappropriate. Mm. Fair enough. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a particular stance on, on mm. personal grooming. I, I actually did an experiment to grow my beard as long as, I don't know if you guys saw my beard on Facebook, but um, like, it's like a pretty bad beard that I had. Lush. There and, I love it. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to shave it off though, because I thought now that I'm looking for a job in Germany, I thought I better get rid of it, you know, and my <laughs> parents hated it. Like it's very much a, a, it's a dividing, dividing thing, having a mad long beard and having long wow. hair as well. But yeah, but back to the question, uh, I do think that there's certain things that need to be rewritten or, or just recast for <clears throat> a more even America. But I, I think in order for that to happen, America would have to see everyone in America as equal. And I don't think that's the case. Which bit do you think you're being seen unequal as? Well, I mean, whether you want to analyze it from the, what I would say is the Black Lives Matter movement or like the instances in police brutality or just how, okay, like the, um, say for instance, you're a black person and you were to put your house on the market. This actually recently came out. A mixed couple versus a white couple, the mixed couple had their house depreciated 40% because there was a black person. Same house, same instance, but because a black person was there, their house was depreciated 40%. That's one example Okay, but hang on. So, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a real bad devil's advocate, and I'm gonna say, like you personally, how do you think that you personally have are being treated unequal? I try not to live my life viewing it like that because if I were to, like, I can't give you a clear answer because I can't I cannot exist in this society with that mindset. I'll go nowhere. Yes, yeah, perfect. Yeah, and 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 I think that's my overall argument. That is exactly my overall argument. Is if you buy into the fact that you're being treated in X, Y, Z, and that was where I was saying with the whole Mazda situation. That was my my argument. Is if you buy into the fact that the world is against you, you will find answers. You will find it everywhere because the world is a super, super, super hard place to live in. And I used to think the world was against me. And then I realized, like I said, I was just an alcoholic. And it was actually that if I stopped drinking, a lot of my problems would go away. And I, I, and I, I think people should rather adopt the mindset that you have. And even if the world is against me sometimes, because that does happen, you know, like, and, and there's going to be things that happen that are, that are wrong. But even if that happens to me, I'm still going to have to live my life the best way that I can. And it, it's like, gives me a lot of hope to hear someone who has gone on the side of the, the BLM side and, and who can still sort of answer me that on a so, so I'll give you the kudos back in terms of being honest back and saying, well, I, I can't live my life that way because if I live my life that way, and I, I don't think these were your exact, they're not your exact words, but if you don't mind me saying so, that it essentially leads to your own death or your own demise. Right. That's a more candid, right. It, it, it can be. And on, on, there's a flip side to that. Now, this mindset, this more jovial kind of uh, systematically nonchalant per, uh, perspective that I have, I would say that it is beneficial, correct, in my success in my life to not dwell upon things that actually affect our community. And I said, the reason why I say that is because, you know, say for instance, we both have the same perspective that, you know, the life is going to be hard regardless but if we you know, pick ourselves by our bootstraps, where everything's going to be okay, right? But there's not... Oh, oh, actually, the, the, I'll stop you there because this is where I think people make the mistake. It's if we pick ourselves up our bootstraps, we give ourselves the best chance that things might be okay. Right. I think that's, that's, yeah, it's, that's a huge difference though, right? <laughs> right. I was, no, the reason why I said that was because in your, if you were to think back, there's not a boogeyman following you. 
So you can live your life as free as you want. I can live my life as free as I want, free to do right and wrong. But the boogeyman is when I do something wrong, my chances of leaving this earth are a lot more than you you would be. So I can live this life, but when I drive my car and the police roll by, all that optimism shits out the door and I'm scared shitless. If I get pulled over and this guy's not having a good day, this will be my last day. And unfortunately, that's not the proper mindset, but it's my television, my, my society, you could say, has poisoned my mind to being mm. petrified by the police. And there's many, if I were to show any person that matches whoever the attack is and show you years of video footage, you'll walk outside and be afraid of any person that might get sunburned. Anybody. And it's, it's unfortunate, but that's like the more, rea more real perspective. It is interesting that you say, because I, I, I have, that was another question that I wanted to ask is, it is interesting that you say it's the television that has done it. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you can tell me if, if what I'm about to say is wrong, but it, it doesn't strike me as though you were brought up to believe like this, because that's what a lot of people, that's, I've heard this argument, which is like the community, you get brought up saying the police are going to kill you, but it doesn't sound like that was the case with you, at least anyway, you, you were more brought up by the television telling you the police is going to kill you. Right, because my father, my father put on a uniform. He had a gun. He wore the badge of the NYPD. He was a correction officer. He didn't, you know, wasn't in the streets. And especially back then, that perspective wasn't uh, as intense as it is now. But I can't necessarily hate the NYPD, the New York Police Department, if my father's a part of it. Like, I can't despise him. And I don't have instances. It wasn't as put on television to have these horrific levels of animosity towards anybody with that badge. There wasn't mm. any type of coalition like Blue Lives Matter that opposed my level of being. So as a Jamaican American, the perspective of immigrants to black Americans saying, oh, they get killed by cops, they immerse themselves with drugs, don't be a part of them, you're not them. That's what many, many Caribbean parents can attest to, whether, whether they say it in that direct way or not. So no, I was not necessarily raised to despise the police or to always think that the world's against me. My father always told me that you're going to have to work twice as hard as any white man in America, because that was an American thing, not necessarily black American. That, that's not necessarily a bad way to raise your children, eh? because it instills a seriously good work ethic within you, I would say. And that's, right. that's a good thing. <laughs> Zach, I was going to ask you though. So uh, to get back to you that I wanted to check. So Brandon sort of says his happy-go-lucky attitude disappears very quickly when he sees a police officer. And you said earlier that with police officers, you, you don't have that same thing. But how do you feel at the moment when you talk about your political leanings or when you even talk about Black Lives Matter? I don't want to, I'll just ask you the question then I'll tell you how I feel because I don't want to bait you. No, you're good. I've almost exclusively stopped talking about it outside of the podcast because I've been dubbed a bigot, a racist, a, you know, every, every name in the book because of my views on Black Lives Matter, because I identify as a conservative and because, you know, I voted for Trump in 2016. And so these things, someone finds out that and immediately in today's climate, especially that then is associated with a lot worse. And so, so yeah, I've had numerous people both publicly and privately call me out as racist because I don't agree with the organization. I've had, you know, all kinds of negative interactions like that. And so I think that it's hard to speak up against something. And I think this is part of the danger in the Black Lives Matter organization is that because it's founded on, because it's taken such a widely accepted statement, when you come against that in any way, 
it comes across like, no, I don't think Black Lives Matter. And that's not, that's not at all the case, right? I absolutely agree with a lot of what they stand for. And I agree that police reform needs to happen on some level. And I agree that, you know, change needs to happen and that people should acknowledge racism and things like that. But so, so yeah, so when I, when I discuss it with people, that's, that's you, I don't want to say it's always where it leads, but especially with my more liberal and progressive friends, that's very often what the conversation devolves to. Mm. So I guess, okay, so my answer to it is that, and this is why I was so scared to even say before um, how I, you know, how I was raised because you're, you're petrified at the moment. I am, I'm petrified at the moment of even having this discussion. And I just see that this, I've, I've had to take it upon myself to say, look, this, uh, there's something really majorly wrong here at the moment. And if I don't say something and the next guy doesn't say something and the next guy doesn't say something, mm-hmm. then we're all going to end up in a really, really bad place, all of us together. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though, so it's Brandon, in terms of the, your happy go lucky attitude, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty happy go lucky guy, but my first fear was that if I do this podcast with you guys and I'm, I'm scared, I'm scared this podcast goes viral for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm scared that, you know, like I'm, I've got a, some Antifa dudes, like they, I live in Germany and there's BLM things spray painted on the, on the side of the boardwalks or the, the, the pedestrian walkways um, here as well. And there's big BLM posters. And I think, well, if, if this goes viral, I don't know who knows where I live and, you know, maybe I get attacked maybe I get bricked or something, you know, did you guys see the, the guy who got shot yeah. um, for being a Trumper? Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. yeah. So I mm. think I, I had one point that I wanted to bring up that just kind of along these same, these same lines. I think that is one of the largest reasons why I disagree with the Black Lives Matter organization is because they think they did play into everything that Brandon, you're describing as why you stand behind Black Lives Matter or, you know, again, I, stand behind is a, a loosely <laughs> associated right. term, whatever. But they were founded in, in 2013. Like when the when the Trayvon Martin case happened, like Black Lives Matter formed. Yeah. And it wasn't just a statement to like the organization formed then too. And so I think even back then, even though it was a lot less incendiary and a lot less Marxist and a lot less, you know, this, the organization was still on some level pulling the strings and associate beginning to associate themselves with that term and with that saying and then hooking in for lack of a better term people like you that only agree with that that statement right don't agree with marxism or don't agree with these more radical beliefs of tearing down the entire system etc but then once they were able to garner that credibility early on now they've kind of come out of the woodwork and spoken their truth and said like okay yeah this is, you know, we've been around since 2013. We've been fighting for this and this and this. And this is now our solution that we're putting forward now that we have this kind of support. I completely agree. Have you guys read much on Marxism and communism? Not since I had to do it in high school. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, probably about the same. What, well, from what I'm hearing about your, your education system in the U.S. is you guys are being taught Marxism now is a good thing. Yeah, that's starting to be an underlying uh, heartbeat. What do you guys think? What, okay, so tell me, just broadly speaking, and I know not, I'm not an expert on it at all, but I've, I've mm-hmm. watched and read a reasonable amount on it. Um, What's your overall feeling and view on it? You sort of talk to someone who's a Trump supporter, right? And then someone, people immediately go, oh, he's a Nazi. 
without really taking into account what a Nazi genuinely is. You talk to someone who's pro-BLM and then the first thing is like, oh, he's Antifa or like a Marxist or, or communist. And my question is, is, do you guys actually think that being a communist is a good thing or a, a bad thing or not such a bad thing or not such a good thing? Like what's your, how, how bad do you think it is if you think about Marxism and communism? Zach, let me go, let me go quick because I know yeah. for a fact that mine's going to be quick. I have no current standings that can establish any proper definition, even differentiating Marxism versus communism, which is, again, why I can't fully stand behind what Black Lives Matter, I guess, to the general public has started to integrate. I don't know of that. I can't even speak on it more than three sentences. So Zach would definitely would have to have more information on that as a whole. Hang on. No, 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 no. So my question isn't whether or not you think Black Lives Matter is a Marxist or a communist organization. No, like, right. It was like, as, as a whole, do, what do you think about it? Like, is it good or bad? Yeah. Right. I have no idea, which is the same premise of why I can't fully support that. But I was just tying right. it together. Okay. Like, okay. So what did you learn in high school then? <laughs> that is pulling back on years, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Zach, take it so, from me. Sure. Man. So, so I think it's important to distinguish between quote unquote true communism and what communism realistically turns into. Because um, like the, there's the, the old adage of true communism has never been tested or, you know, things like that. Communism as a system is basically an economic structure where the means of production are commonly owned. You know, they're not owned by either the state or any kind of group of elites, or, you know, in our case, it would be the, the rich capitalists. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the absence of stuff like government and, and social classes and things like that. And so it's really the, that's kind of the, the tr quote unquote true origins of it, you know, and with Marxism, you know, that's, that's where the ideology starts. What it winds up being is Marxism devolved into Leninism, Leninism turned into Stalinism, and Stalin is like, that is where communism leads is because of the way, because of human nature and because of just the workings of the world, it doesn't turn into that. It turns into some individual or group of individuals with power controlling both the means of production and then the the society as a whole, right? If you look at Stalin and you look at Xi and, and some of the more larger communist governments, right? It leads to, it, it's touted as this workers revolution and this, you know, things like that, but it winds up devolving into a authoritarian sort of government style. And so it, I think whether or not it's good or bad, I think people, a lot of people have good intentions. I think a lot of people think that it's a morally good system and a, a quote unquote fair system. But I think that, well, for one, I, I, so I disagree with that on its face because I do agree with the idea that, well, if you work harder, then it makes sense that you earn more. But I think the reality that it devolves into, it's killed millions of people. It's killed, like it's killed, it's just as bad. If you look at how many people it's killed, the negative impacts that it's had on countries and everything, like you can compare it to Nazi fascism and not in their, not in the way that they run things because clearly they're two different poles on the spectrum, but but it leads to an authoritarian government that then winds up killing people and restricting rights on, on some level. And I find it very interesting that you went to the economic route first, whereas when you talk about uh, Nazism, people talk about the deaths first, when the reality is, is that the deaths were at least the same, if not more, 
under Stalinism and under yeah. Mao. And I think this is the biggest problem. Um, do you guys read a lot at all? I'm beginning to. Okay. Yeah. Have you, uh, okay. So like just, if you want to be, if you're beginning to read a lot and you want to read a really quick book, that's very, very easy to read. Um, have you guys read animal farm? No, uh, no, I haven't. Okay. So put that on your list as the first one to just read, because it's like, it's a, it's, it used to be called animal farm, the child, uh, a fairy tale. And it literally mm -hmm. reads like a fairy tale. You could read it in a day. It's that easy to read. Um, and then the other book that you should definitely read, uh, is a book called the Gulag Archipelago. Mm -hmm. Now, basically I won't go into, um, animal farm too much because it's a, it's a really easy one to read, but it explains to you how communism is more or less how it, comes about. Oh, I, and, and I do so remember reading that one. That's the, the animals. Have, yeah. And the, yeah. Okay. The, yeah. The I animals on the farm. Exactly. Pigs. And then the yeah. farmer forgets to feed them because he's drunk. And then, um, but maybe read it again now that you haven't, because clearly you guys didn't pay attention in school. Um, <laughs> um, but it's a good book to read to just get you back into it. Now, this is the thing is I don't think the average person genuinely understands just how dangerous communism and Marxism really, really, really is. And this Agreed. is why people can quite easily say, oh, I don't mind Black Lives Matter, but I don't support the organization, but I will go and march with them. And the reason why I say this is so dangerous is if you read, it's Alexander um, Solzhenitsyn, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. Now he was a Russian guy and he was, I think he was a teacher. And then at some point he was in the military. Anyway, they, when the Second World War happened, so Russia helped the Allies to, to, just, to uh, over, overcome Germany. And he said, what happened to all the Allies is they went back to their countries and they were heralded as heroes. And um, everyone, you know, like, and even now in Australia, you've got people remember the okay, First World War, probably more so, but people in, in their countries are remembered as being heroes. He said, when they went back to Russia, they were actually thrown into the gulags, which is the Russian or the Siberian prison system, because the Russians were paranoid that they had learned something about the West and they weren't, they didn't want that line mm -hmm. of thinking to come into the, the society. And I don't think this is necessarily an accurate way to think about, oh, well, it, the, I just sort of came up with this little thought for myself, but there, it, is a fa it is factual that Stalin, I think he threw his first wife into a mental institution and he had his, his son was murdered or something like this as well. So think about it. If you go that far to, to kill someone that's so close in relation to you, how sick do you think this whole ideology has to be that it even in effect takes out the guy who's leading it himself on a psychological level? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And I think I agree with you when you say that most people don't focus on the deaths and the murder, right? Most people do focus on the economic side of things. And that's why I think most people that identify with it, their hearts are in the right place. They have good intentions. I don't, I don't think you're a bad person if you are in America today advocating for Marxism because you agree with Black Lives Matter organization, right? Probably now they're out there too. Right. Most yeah. of them, I do think they have good intentions, but I think that they don't understand what that is going to lead to, what Marxism really is and what communism really is. I, exactly. I there's a, there's a, thanks. You brought me back to my point, which is 
there's a there's a section in the book. So they they basically, if you if you've heard all this before, sorry, but um, since you said you don't know anything and you haven't paid attention, I'll I'll just give you a bit of a rundown. So there's this, there's what they used to do is they used to have lists of names and they would go and arrest people based on lists. They didn't it didn't matter if you were really an enemy of the state or not. It was just whether or not you thought you were an enemy of the state. And if your neighbour didn't like you, they could put you on this list as well. And quite often the government would come to you and you'd, they'd go, "Who's the spy? Who's the spy? Who's the spy?" And they would essentially extract the name out of you so even if you didn't have any enemies that you wanted to throw out in the gulag you had to come up with the name of someone so maybe you know if you don't like your neighbor today you go oh that's good i'm so glad the system is working in my favor but then tomorrow your neighbor is gone and now who are you going to pick out you know so like the list of people who you don't like obviously shrinks and you end up betraying your own brother or your own family members the worst part about this is people were sitting and you can read this for yourself people were sitting in the gulag in the prison camp next to other people and they were innocent. They had done nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong. And they still believed in the system. I, I don't know if that blows your mind as much as it blows mine. It definitely just yeah. sent me away. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Like how crazy is that? And this is the thing, right? So if you're pro BLM because you think that it roughly stands for something that you believe in, but you don't realize what's sitting behind it and what's driving behind it, you could be that person who sits in the back of a, of a, in a prison one day, like I'm not saying it's going to happen to you tomorrow, but the way that this Marxist organization is driven, they, they are not a good group of people. And we're all going to end up suffering from this um, because this is the other thing. This is my vested interest is if America falls into a, and, a, and a, there's a good chance that you guys can have a civil war, right? Or not, not a good chance, but there's a chance, yeah. maybe 1%, whatever. I don't know. But there's a chance that you fall into a civil war. And if you do, that opens up the door for a bigger communist power, such as China or Russia to then say, okay, well, now that America is busy, just, uh, they're distracted with their own problems internally, they're already weak or already distracted. Now we can come and take over. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a risk. It's a, it's a threat that's out there. I do have a question though. So little old me being black, ah, I don't want to die in America. How exactly, uh, how does little Black Lives Matter get sucked in with the Marxist movement enough to evoke fear that this can have, like Zach, as as strong as America has always been taught to me in school, I don't foresee that even being a possibility. Am I, am, I, am I naive for having that perspective? Like for America to be taken down by a Marxist perspective, I can't see that, not in my lifetime. I mean, I think it's already become a part of the average progressive's stances on things that not Marxism specifically, but just the the tenets of Black Lives Matter and stuff that they stand for. So I was talking to one of my progressive friends about Black Lives Matter and I, you know, I went through, I was like, you know, yeah, you know, and I disagree with that in their, in their mission statement that they seek to dismantle the nuclear family. And she kind of chuckled. She's like, that's awesome. I'm like, what? What? Like that's, but that to me is that's, it's about the systemic patriarchal and racist roots of the system that lead to things like the nuclear family and lead to things like this. And so I, I genuinely feel like the, the underlying motives for a lot of these people isn't well, let's jump to Marxism. Let's see. It's the current system is so corrupt and bereft that it leads to these kinds of things. And so we need to now this is the this is the extreme left, right? This isn't the core left. This isn't the the average liberal. But I think that the movement is is starting 
and with you know more with progressivism on the rise and with more people believing these kinds of things about capitalism about our current system you know i think that the rise of socialism through democratic socialism while by definition socialism and communism are different i think that one can easily lead into the other if left unchecked and so the way i see it more realistically happening is the Marxism happens on the sidelines, you know, Black Lives Matter gains supporters and they gain credibility and whatnot. And that's happening. In the meantime, socialism takes root and people through acceptance of democratic socialism and then through that movement moving forward, people begin to accept socialist tenets and socialist beliefs. And then combining those attitudes with a group like Black Lives Matter that stands for a Marxist system, I think that that's not a very big gap to jump. And so, so that's where I see it, it leading to things. Right. So this is like a tangible fear. Like this is something that I should like begin to look up in regards <laughs> <Yes>. to <laughs> I, I, I think so. I mean I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I'm want you to know right now. I think this is this is, I want this clip to do something, but I don't think to do it. But that's amazing. I did not know that I should make that associate. I think that's above my little perception of Black Lives Matter. Maybe some other people are more super woke than I am, but mm -hmm. I did not know of that level of precautionary measures or at least deleterious things that can happen. Well, and, and I think you're right, Brandon. I, the average progressive would look at me like I'm a crazy conservative conspiracy theorist, right? And so I don't think you're alone in thinking that this is me jumping from one thing to another without reasoning or evidence, right? I do think that a lot of people think that this is a stretch, but I don't know. I see it as, as a possibility, not a li not likely necessarily, but a possibility. Now it, be, now, it would be incorrect of me to bring up numbers, even though this is anecdotal evidence that it might happen. You can bring up numbers if you want. No, I'm saying, no, I was, I was being, uh, I guess, facetious by saying oh, right, right, numbers right. wouldn't necessarily uh, dictate that that will happen. Because how often does that happen with other nations? So here's the thing. So um, do you know what happened with Fidel Castro, how he came to power? No, not how he came to power, but I knew that his fall was, I knew that he fell. But not, not okay. So Fidel Castro, they were actually like really, really, really clever. And so just quickly, you need to go and look at who's donating to the BLM movement and to the rioters. And so basically there's like big donations coming in from political parties and they're, so when, so let's say you go out and riot tonight, right? And then the police arrest you, they're post, they're, there's big donations to get these people out on bail straight away so that they can go right back into the streets and protest again. Oh, wow. it's, worth, it's, worthwhile, it's worthwhile going and looking and seeing who are making these donations. This is also why it ties back into the news and why it's good that you're not reading the news anymore. What they used to do is they controlled the radio waves and they would publish um, across the radio all the time about how much progress they were making, you know, like this, this little freedom fighting group, if you want to call it, because that's, you, you're either a terrorist or a freedom fighter, right? So this freedom fighter group, that's, that's what they were doing. And they were making all this headway. But the problem with um, Cuba was that their overall government structure was actually imploding as well. So it wasn't that Castro was this really great guy, and he was creating a revolution for the for all of the people in Cuba. The system was already deteriorating and as the system collapsed, it's almost like he had brilliant timing or brilliant luck because he strolled in and took power over as the system collapsed. 
in the US, I mean, even though the system is not the greatest, I mean, I'm not a big Trump fan, to be honest, but um, <laughs> he's still, he's better than Biden and that, but Trump does have his problems just like everyone else. You could argue that, okay, you guys don't have the strongest president in the world, but relatively speaking, it's still overall a democratic country, I would think, you know, you guys at least get a choice between two people. And that might be the one saving grace is that, I'm just going to say it, like the, uh, Kamala Harris, for example, and Joe Biden, they're the ones that they're donating to free yeah. these um, rioters. And you can go and look it up. It's like there's evidence of it. I heard someone say, if Trump wins, you guys are screwed. But if the Democrats win, then you're also screwed. You know, so it's like mm -hmm. America is kind of screwed at the moment. But I think if you... Personally, I think that if you're on the Democrat side, I think you're in for a much worse time if they stay in power for, say, five to 20 years. It's a scary situation, you know, and who yeah. knows what will actually wind up happening. Like, maybe I am overly cautious and paranoid, right? Maybe this will blow over after the election and, and things, you know, will go back to quote unquote normal. But yeah, I think that the divide on this stuff has become so strong. And now if you come out against Marxism, right, typically you're deemed as a racist because you're coming out against Black Lives Matter. That's the, yeah, that's the irony. And, you know, this is what Mao did in China. He, well, not exactly in, in terms of the racism, but there's always someone to blame, right? And at the moment, it's all, it's very easy to blame white people for being racist and, and so on. And then it's trying to rile up um, someone else. So in, China, in Russia, what they did is they said it was the farmer's fault that everyone was struggling. And so they, they went out after the farms and nationalized the farms and um, created huge poverty. And in China, what they did, this is the funniest, like, in, well, sort of. Um, in China, they, they also had the farms, but farmers weren't allowed to eat their own grain. So they were really starving to death and all the grain was being sold. And eventually Mao said to them, the reason why you guys are starving is not because I'm taking all of your grain. It's because the birds are eating your grain. And guess what? They believed him. So then what he said is you guys need to run around the farms and bang metal tins around or whatever, and don't allow the birds to rest. And if the birds, and, and they did this, there's like pictures of people with like, thousands of birds were that they've caught because the birds were literally dying in midair because as soon as they wanted to sit down, people would run and chase the birds and they'd fly again. And then like they, they just died from exhaustion. And this is the thing, Brandon, this is a, 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 a and I'm only saying this to you because I, I think um, Zach's obviously on the other side of this coin, but it all starts very innocently. You know, racism is bad. And it's a very easy sell for anyone. We all agree racism is bad. Like I'm on your side when I say that racism is bad. And I don't want to see you having a life that's worth less than anyone else's or that's like, I don't want to see you being disadvantaged in any way, unless it's your own doing, obviously, you know? So if you go out and you drink and you get in a car crash, well, then you have to take responsibility for that, as do I. But it's what comes next. And it's a, it's a progressive sales technique that's being employed. And at the moment, well, it's probably starting to fall a little bit apart at the moment because the rioting seems to be putting a, lot of, a bunch of people off. So sitting here listening to this, this is complete, this is like, like freaking me out how like, <laughs> I did not know, I was completely unaware of this level of, of what's above me. And I was getting frustrated and, you know, getting mad at the administration and, you know, all these different things that we talked about. And then I got, I guess I felt really sad and disappointed because the point of the initial funds and what they claimed that it was going to go towards was, you know, inner city communities and after school programs and 
all these things that black communities have wanted ever since the 20s. And unfortunately, higher powers above a mom and pop shop or above Brooklyn has taken what we would use that money to benefit our lives and our communities to make it more even and still just get the shit under the stick while the uppers do what the uppers do. Exactly. Yep. And that's just that's communism. Uh, Welcome yeah, to communism. The, the workers' revolution. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Because in, in South Africa, and this is the thing, and, and I didn't really want to talk about this because um, at the risk of, and it's exactly what you said earlier, Zach, as soon as you attack communism, you're labeled as a racist because what a lot of people don't know is that Nelson Mandela had very strong communist ties as well. And I saw a very interesting, it was, it, it was so interesting. I saw someone in the chair zone or the chop zone, whatever you want to call it now, <laughs> the, the zone that doesn't exist anymore. And she was a very staunch Black Lives Matter person. Um, and, and you could tell she, like, she's the kind of person, you don't want to mess with her, you know, and she was um, very strong in her views. You have to give her that. Like she, she, and she was hard, you know, I was like, well, I, I wouldn't want to argue with this girl <laughs> too quickly. The guy who was interviewing us said to her, how much of this movement is that you just want to throw over the system and watch it burn? Because what's the plan? So let's say you do get to throw over the system. What happens then? Mm -hmm. And her answer was that if we overthrow the system, then we can liberate the minds of black people and they will come up with a system that we don't even know has existed. And um, it sounded very nice and very... Um, that sounds nice to me. I was like, oh, we talk about that and like different like far left uh, black people talk about that and saying that's possible but to hear someone else say that that's also possible is like also amazing that's, that's almost scary I, was like, what the heck? I know it sounds great it sounds great but here's the thing right how many times have you gone and done something and uh just on a whim and it turned out to be exactly what you thought it would be i mean let's say just take a stupid example you go to a restaurant that you didn't plan to go to are you guaranteed to get a good restaurant no exactly we're talking about society i mean <laughs> what are the chances of it being replaced by something else let's say tomorrow you defund the entire police right like do you think that all of a sudden the people who are hardened criminals are just going to be like Okay, well, just while they work out whether or not we're going to have hospital caretakers or, or healthcare workers taking care of us, let's just chill out for a while before we go and steal and murder and do all these things. Because the good guys are trying to work out a system for us. South Africa had a bad system, 100%. I'm not going to say they had a good system. It was replaced by a system that's as bad, if not worse, because the average person in South Africa today is not better, the, the, and this is on both sides, they're not better off than what they were before. So just because you've got a bad system, or even if you do have a bad system, it doesn't guarantee that when you replace it with a new system, that this new system is going to be good. So my argument would be more or less in line with what Zach was saying is look at the bad things within the system and change those things. But you don't have to be radical and say, oh, you know, nine people, nine unarmed people got shot in the United States last year, or 30 unarmed people got shot in the United States last year. Let's overthrow the nuclear family. The associations that is starting to be made across like the matter movements and what's happening in the background is so almost overwhelming to just the average t television consumer. Like, I'm sure they mm. would imagine this level of action that's happening in the background. It sounds like science fiction. <laughs> you know, almost. Or like a really, like a B-level written book. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very, very scary what's happening at the moment. 
and I and I and again, like this is why I'm so so thankful to have both of you guys on because you've come from different perspectives. And you know, it's like I've spoken to people in Germany and in Australia, and some of them have different opinions as well. And this is, you know, how you know that this is a serious thing, is when you talk to people in a different country where theoretically Black Lives Matter shouldn't have anything to do with us, and it's just as sensitive a topic over here as it is over there with you really? guys. Of course. Wow. I would never imagine. Like, and this is why it was a huge deal for Black people as a whole. Black Lives Matter, for what we knew it as the culture, the small little culture know it as to be, was a civil movement for police brutality. 18 countries in every single state in America believed in what 14% of the country believed in. That was a huge moment. Right, that we didn't even mm-hmm. imagine that that would be like we would like we have never mattered on a stage like this. We've never had eighteen countries of influence. So even imagining that the same type of discord or conversation that we're struggling to have here that we even have in other countries is still like amazing. Well, you can phrase this differently, Brandon. The fact that everyone jumped on board on this straight away, and in terms, so everyone believes that racism is a bad thing. That should in itself, in and of itself, tell you that maybe, because if everyone didn't jump on board at the same time, that would mean that racism was more pervasive than what it really is. So you should take a lot of um, solace from it, if that's the right word, that everyone got on board because the point is we all believe that racism is bad. If the world was inherently racist, then George Floyd would have been and gone. You know what I mean? Right, but that's that's black Americans don't care if the world's racist. Black Americans care if their world is racist. It just so happens that no, they got but, picked yeah, up. But, okay, fair enough. But I mean, this has been going on in the U.S. as well. Like, I, I'd say that everyone in the U.S. is more or less on board with us, also, aren't they? In terms of the mm-hmm. racism, not in terms of BLM now. I think the the NASCAR is the best example of it. Right, look at NASCAR banning Confederate flags, and you know they went along with it like that. You know, and they. There was all of the the crews and the the racers helped push uh, Bubba Wallace's car, or not not push his car. They they walked with him. Um, they all went along with banning the Confederate flag. And so I think in a in a society <laughs> and it where turned out to be nothing, <laughs> right? It was it was no big deal. And I think in a society that is inherently racist or has a a large subset of it that's inherently racist, that I think that happen. would yeah that would be one area where you would definitely see discord. Well, I think, I think Zach, you also, I mean, you would have to admit that you saw many racers publicly say, you know, they've lost the American way by, by removing the Confederate flag. There's also the same NASCAR that had a noose hanging in the, I guess, one of the trailers for mm-hmm. over two years. Why is it, and the noose in America is known to be a, a form of a fear Yeah, but there, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't really a noose, Brandon. That's the whole point. Well, but I think even if it was, at least as far as I know, I don't know. Do you guys think? I mean, I wasn't. It wasn't noose in the sense that, but it was just someone had just happened to tie it that way. I don't think there was a there was a racist threat behind it. That's that's my point. The fact that it hung there for two years mm-hmm. obviously means that it wasn't a big deal. Well, and even, a lot of people say that about the Confederate flag. Even if it was a noose, though, I think it's indicative <laughs> okay, we'll, of. We'll get back to that one. <laughs> I think even if it was a real noose, which it, and it did look, it did look more like a noose than a garage pole, to be completely honest. But even if it was, I think that's indicative of a society with racists in it, not necessarily an, an inherently racist society. 
if that makes sense. Okay, okay. So I think that's unavoidable on some level. You're always going to have racists. You're always going to have, now, does that justify it? Absolutely not. It's still awful and horrible, and they should be held accountable for their actions. But it's the fact but, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, so yeah, okay, so I guess to, to bring it, that's a good point, is let's say it was a noose, then of course you agree with, then, then what Zach just said is a very good point. And okay, so uh, maybe when I say it wasn't a noose, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is from the articles that I've read is that, yeah, okay, it was tied like a noose, but it was, and I could completely be wrong, so I don't, don't, don't want to say that it is this way or that way, but it was probably just some dude who knows how to tie a noose and thought, hey, here's a rope, I'm just going to tie a noose because I know how to tie a noose, as opposed to, I want to like send some hate signal towards Bubba Wallace or whoever was driving when, I don't know if that was Bubba Wallace's garage two years ago or not, but the fact that it hung there for two years and no one said anything. And also there were no other threats behind it. So think about it from that perspective. So if this noose was hanging there with intent to, th to threaten, then wouldn't there have been other threats as well? No, nah, that's a pretty strong threat. If you see a noose, that's a that's that's pretty. You get the picture. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't think. Okay, so let me rephrase this. I don't believe personally. I don't if I don't believe a noose is a threat specifically to a black person. Oh, a noose no. can be a threat to anyone. No, 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 no. The way that America has hung had yeah. hanging parties after church services, the way that it has been publicly done, the the, the history behind nooses terrorizing Americans, black Americans since the 1840s. That is one of the strongest forms. It's like, it's, it's, it is synonymous to burning a cross on a, on someone's front lawn. And that is, and Zach can 100% agree. And I can speak for him on that. That is complete. Okay. That might be a, that might be, sorry, go on. Mm -hmm. go on. No, yeah. that is, it's, it's that level. Yeah. 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 But I do think that's probably an American specific thing. You know, I don't know in yeah. South Africa or in, in Australia or anywhere. Like, I don't know if it's the same case there, but there's definitely a connotation to it in, in America where it's, right. it's black okay. specific. That could be a cultural thing because for me, I think of a noose as like a medieval thing that was used specifically, mostly throughout Europe personally. Yeah, no, it happened. No, I have about a hundred, about, about a hundred years ago. Okay. But let's say you're, you're right. Why do you think the noose wasn't paid any attention to for two years then, Brandon? A lot of, a lot of things, I guess, in, uh, in American culture. So, okay, the culture of NASCAR is very American. And now a lot, of more, a lot more people understand what that means. You know, uh, you guess right wing, you know, country, uh, the South. You, you think of those type of things. And I guess you don't want to, if you're in that environment, you don't want to step on that environment because... So whistleblow on something like NASCAR is like a huge deal because that's the entire, the culture is very tight knit. So I guess no one wanted to stir anything up like that fear of it. Like if you say something, you'll get taken care of. So, you know, maybe that could be it. Cause you know, there's other occurrences where, you know, you see a news in the street, it's, the, it's on the news the next day, but something as, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fully sure why, but that's my yeah. mentality why. I, I, that's reasonable. Like I would say, that's a that's a reasonable argument. But then I think it would again blow out the water if you say, well, the fact that everyone rallied around Bubba Wallace as soon as the noose was made public. Maybe I, I mean, if I really wanted to take your argument, I could say, well, okay, well, maybe Bubba Wallace was just scared to death for the last two years, right. and he didn't do anything. And then when George Floyd came out, he said, oh, far out. Finally, I can talk about this noose now because this has been freaking me out for two years now. And I, I, I need to get this out. Now's a good time. 
you're 100 percent right it would it would be far-fetched for him to do that but the thing is it's not necessarily his particular garage so hundreds of i'm sure the hundreds of uh, race car drivers has already went through and saw that and none of them have said anything so that also can yeah. be like other black race car drivers as well you know sell them as they may be uh they also could have not said anything but that's yeah. just you know that yeah. just that it comes to but so just to clarify, so this is a because I this is something that I haven't actually didn't know. So if you guys see a noose anywhere in America, mm-hmm. the associate the, the association of, uh, you can basically associate a noose with like a, a guy wearing a KKK outfit. Is yeah. that more or less? Is that fair to say? Yeah, or have or have some type of semblance to that rather than that neo-Nazi aspect that. Wow. Uh, yeah, like that's well. I've seen the different documentaries that said you know the KKK is has monogamized to neo. Like there's a there's a decent population of neo Nazis in America. Um, of course, yeah, I definitely believe you on that. Yeah, <laughs> not even believe they're like on you know with Fox News. Like there's that's yeah no I know popular. yeah. Well, so, and I think context is important too because I mean there was the case too in um what state was it? Well, I don't remember the the workout equipment that was deemed a noose. There was, there was, there were ropes hanging in like on a path, like a, like a Metro park or nature path or something. And it was, you know, called out as, oh, this is awful. This is hateful. These are nooses, you know, we're going to look into it. Then it came out that it was a black guy that hung them because they were using them to exercise. And they saw, they saw other people using them to exercise. So they left them there. After that came out, then the I, the, I don't know if it was the mayor or the, I don't know who it was in this situation was basically like, no, we're still going to investigate it because the intent doesn't matter. You know, it's still a hate symbol. And so there's this divide between like, there absolutely is the culture behind it and these connotations behind it. But I think again, like with everything we've been talking about, it's ele- it's escalated to the point where even the presence of it is deemed a racist or awful act, even in the presence of a- evidence that that's absolutely not what it is. That's right. So, the news took it as that. For black people, that has to be like a precautionary, like that has to be instinctual. If you see that, you have to start to begin to fear for your life. That's what has been passed down. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, that's exactly my point though, is... How do I phrase this in the right way so that it comes across? Well, you gotta yeah. just speak, speak, speak. No, no, it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not that I don't want to speak my mind. It's just that I don't know how to phrase it. <laughs> I actually just don't know how to say it. So think about it from a different perspective, because I actually, personally, I think that transgenderism and this racism, I think there's a very strong link and they're using the same things as they, like call it a, as Zach called it a quote unquote, a hook to grab people in. Now, the fact that the news is so hell-bent on finding the racism, to me, that's the actual alarm bell, is the fact is that why are they so persistent to try and find the racism? And this is why I think the black community, if you were going to call them the black community as opposed to just black people in America, this is why I actually think they're being victimized for the wrong reason, because they are being told that all these things are racist and they need to fear for their life and uh, the boogeyman, quote-unquote, when really the reality is, is the, the racism is being used with a different agenda in the back end that, no, that not everyone is seeing. And it's so hard for me to, to get this. And this is why I'm making the podcast about, uh, this is why I'm also making these podcasts, because I feel like the link between my alcoholism, this is, this is now really going to sound crazy, but there's a, there's a link between my alcoholism and how I used to think. And then once I got sober, it's going to be a bit of a tangent. And if it doesn't, doesn't sink, then, then that's okay. But I'll, I'm going to try anyway to, to see if I can make the link for you. 
when I was drinking, right, I used to think one of my jobs was to take people out to, uh, like I was working in advertising and I had to get people, take them out to lunch and essentially get them drunk and mm. then get them to buy stuff off me. You know, it's like the, the, the nicest job for anyone who's in his 20s and thinks this is, and, and, I, and it gets paid for as well. So if you want to have that lifestyle, you think it's awesome. But I used to always think that I'd look at other people, I'd, I'd see other people drinking at a restaurant, whether I'm drinking or not, and I'd tell myself, look at all these people, they've got nothing better to do with their lives than to just sit here and drink. Meantime, most of those people are probably just having one glass of wine, you know, or like one beer or something, and then they're going home. I'm the idiot that doesn't go home until 4am, you know, and then wake up the next morning and can't do anything with myself. But I used to judge all these other people like that. And then one night, so when I got really, really desperate and I realized that, you know, I was, I was more or less heading towards suicide and I realized that my life was, I was either going to kill myself or something was going to happen and I'm going to die. And I wasn't even a daily drinker. I was just drinking like a, more like a binge drinker, right? So when I, I would drink maybe once a week or every two weeks, but I would just drink too much. So I went to AA and on this night, everyone sort of basically explained to me how my thinking was and how they used to think exactly the same way. It wasn't until I realized that I could say that I'm an alcoholic, that I, could, that I could label this and I could say, this is the problem, this is alcoholism, and this is what I am suffering from. And once I did that, it was like a complete 180 degree shift that happened with inside of me. And all of a sudden, uh, I've only been sober for about three years now, but all of a sudden, um, many things started to make much more sense to me. I mean, I was even, without having read much of things, like the idea of communism, as an example, sounded like a pretty good idea to me because I wasn't really focusing. You know, my brain wasn't working properly. So I would, communism sounds good because it's telling me that the world is against me, you know, and like the rich people need to suffer or get taxed more because blah, 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 and, and so on. As long as, as long as I could find something that made me feel like I was a victim and it's not my fault, I was happy to go with it. I wanted to uh, directly reply to one thing. Um, you've been only sober three years, but it's over a thousand days. So don't you underestimate it. <laughs> yeah. oh, thanks. No, I'm not, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to say it in a, in a condescending way. I, I meant to say it like my life has radically changed within such a short space of time, you know, that it's almost unbelievable, but, but, but I do thank you for, 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 for catching me on particularly putting myself down. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Say What Needs and on Instagram and Facebook at Say What Needs Saying for live updates and sound bites from our actual podcast. Don't forget to continue the discussion. Thank you for listening. Thanks.